First EVA. Rama was silent as a tomb, which perhaps it was. There were no radio signals on any frequency, no vibrations that the seismographs could pick up, apart from micro-tremors undoubtedly caused by the sun's increasing heat. No electrical currents, no radioactivity. It was all almost ominously quiet. One might have expected that even an asteroid would be noisier. What did we expect? Norton asked himself. A committee of welcome? He was not sure whether to be disappointed or relieved. The initiative, at any rate, appeared to be his. His orders were to wait for 24 hours, then to go out and explore. Nobody slept much on that first day. Even the crew members not on duty spent their time monitoring the ineffectually probing instruments, or simply looking out the observation ports at the stark geometrical landscape. Is this world alive, they asked themselves, over and over again? Is it dead, or is it merely sleeping? On the first EVA, Norton took only one companion, Lieutenant Commander Carl Mercer, his tough and resourceful life support officer. He had no intention of getting out of sight of the ship, and if there was any trouble, it was unlikely that a larger party would be safer. As a precaution, however, he had two more crew members already suited up, standing by in the airlock. The few grams of weight that Rama's combined gravitational and centrifugal fields gave them were neither help nor hindrance. They had to rely entirely on their jets. As soon as possible, Norton decided he would string a cat's cradle of guide ropes between the ship and the pillboxes so that they could move around without wasting propellant. The nearest pillbox was only 10 meters from the airlock, and Norton's first concern was to check that the contact had no damage to the ship. Reassured, he began to drift around the circular structure, trying to determine its purpose. He had only traveled a few meters when he came across an interruption in the smooth, apparently metallic wall. At first, he thought it was some particular decoration, for it seemed to serve no useful function. Six radial grooves, or slots, were deeply recessed in the metal, and lying in them were six crossbars. Like the spokes of a rimless wheel, with a small hub at the center, there was no way in which the wheel could be turned, because it was embedded in the wall. Then, he noticed, with growing excitement, that there were deeper recesses at the ends of the spokes, nicely shaped to accept a clutching hand. Claw? Tentacles? If one stood so, bracing against the wall, and pulled on the spokes so, smooth as silk, the wheel slid out of the wall. To his utter astonishment, for he had been virtually certain that any moving parts would have become vacuum-welded ages ago. Norton found himself holding a spoke wheel. He might have been the captain of some old windjammer standing at the helm of his ship. He was glad that his helmet's sunshade did not allow Mercer to read his expression. He was startled, and also angry with himself. Perhaps he had already made his first mistake. Were alarms now sounding inside Rama, and had his thoughtless action already triggered some impeccable mechanism? But Endeavor reported no change. Her sensor still detected nothing except faint thermal crepitations in her own movements. Well, Skipper, you gonna turn it? Norton thought once more of his instructions. Use your own discretion, but proceed with caution. 
if he checked every single move with Mission Control, he would never get anywhere. What's your diagnosis, Carl? It's obviously manual control for an airlock. Probably an emergency backup system in case of power failure. I can't imagine any technology, however advanced, that wouldn't take such precautions. And if it would be fail-safe, Norton told himself, it could be operated only if there was no possible danger to the system. He grasped two opposing spokes of the windlass, braced his feet against the ground, and tested the wheel. It did not budge. Uh, give me a hat, he said to Mercer. Each took a spoke, exerting their utmost strength. They were unable to produce the slightest movement. Of course, there was no reason to suppose that clocks and corkscrews on Rama turned in the same direction as they did on Earth. Uh, let's try the other way. This time, there was no resistance. The wheel rotated almost effortlessly through a full circle. Then, very smoothly, it took up the load. Half a meter away, the curving wall of the pillbox started to move, like a slowly opening clamshell. A few particles of dust, driven by wisps of escaping air, streamed outward like dazzling diamonds as the brilliant sunlight caught them. The road to Rama lay open. This is the Dungeons and Dweebs Podcast, episode 37, Rendezvous with Rama. I'm your host, Bob, and yesterday I took a page out of Arthur C. Clarke's playbook. Mowing the lawn, wearing my noise-canceling earmuffs, I felt that I, too, like Rama, was merely orbiting my house. My mission, to beautify my yard, was known and appreciated only by me. As I rounded the front porch, my children tried to rendezvous with me, attempting to wave me down, wishing I could step in and mitigate some sibling argument, answer some question about the meaning of household chores. My wife, meanwhile, hotly shot missiles at me with her eyes. But in the end, I did not deviate from my course. My lawnmower and I continued on, gathering energy as I passed the garage mini-fridge. On I mow, oblivious to the needs and pressing desires of my familial earth. But I'm not alone. Across the table from me, his eloquent opening words are enough to melt hearts as cold as the cylindrical sea. And don't worry about exploring uncharted territory with this mustachioed captain, ladies. He'll be the first to let you know that as long as you stay centered along the shaft, he can keep you in zero-G indefinitely. And remember, like the Ramans, he always comes in threes. Clob! 
Wow. Okay. That was... Mm. Well, thank you. Um, You're welcome. Good afternoon, my lovelies. So far, it's been a pretty relaxing summer. Your old Uncle Clab has really not been doing anything but enjoying a few adult pops and rendezvousing with a few little lasses of the north. (laughs) So, really, nothing much going on. To my right, he's spending the summer taking classes on how to crochet an Afghan. (laughs) Ironically, the most peaceful of all blankets. (laughs) The Jimmy Olsen to my Clark Kent, the Roy Harper to my Oliver Queen, Neil. In what world do you think you're Oliver Queen, first of all? <laughs> you're like old Bruce Wayne and I'm Terry McGinnis. That is fine. That's acceptable. I'll, 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 I can deal yes. with that. Thank you. That's yes. better. Yes. Right. Well, here on the compound set, you learn more about your podcast mates. For instance, Luke has given up the second chair. Maybe forever. Paul has become more of a lumberjack with that glorious beard. Always. Bob replies better to you, the fans, compared to the people in this room. <laughs> Uncle Clob has finally opened his magic packs from almost a month ago now that he has more time. I haven't. He hasn't. And I've moved up to chair three. Life is pretty good here. The whole plan. Eventually, chair one, Bob. (laughs) But but to my right now, as I already mentioned here, glorious lumberjack beard, Paul. Hey, kids. Cousin Paul here. (laughs) The lumberjack. He's a lumberjack in that. Okay. The lumberjack. The lumberjack is in from the woods, tired but ready to talk about the wonders and mysteries of space. 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 Oh, not spice. No, no, no. Spice. Spice was no, no. I'm I'm spiced out. Lunch. No more deeps. No. Mwadib. Mwadib. Because remember, in space, no one can hear you scream. <laughs> oh, and I screamed a lot during that last <laughs> series. Um, all right, so here we are doing the one of the seminal classics of science fiction by one of the big three all-time best sci-fi authors, uh, Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, in his book, Rendezvous with Rama. Obviously, probably better known for 2001, but hey, there's a movie for that, So, if, and I'm sure tons of commentary on that one. Rendezvous with Rama, not a lot always said about that. So Dungeons & Dweebs decided to give Rendezvous its due, and so we're doing an episode on, I think, probably one of my favorite sci-fi books of all time from growing up, Rendezvous with Rama. Had a big impact on me. Anybody else, did, did, were you guys aware of Rendezvous with Rama Club? Um, uh, yeah, of course. I've, I've read a lot of Arthur C. Clarke, and of course, after 2001, I actually read Rendezvous with Rama after 2001. Um, and that's something I'm actually going to talk about a lot when we talk about the book itself, um, going into that, are the, those similarities and those differences and how that kind of set up what we think of as space travel and what we think of as science fiction. Neil, what has been your exposure to Rendezvous on this <laughs> Wonderful have you summer evening. Have you have you rendezvous? What what a better time, by the way, for us to do rendezvous, for us to have a summer evening rendezvous. <laughs> it's true. No, <laughs> that's all I got. No, <laughs> no. That most the most I'd heard of Rama was when I was sitting there, surfing through my phone and looked on our Facebook page. Which please check our Facebook page out, <laughs> and saw our reading calendar and said, "Huh, rendezvous with Rama." 
Well, that's not me. I've got tell Star Wars with the next one I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> and then we grabbed it. And next and thing I know, here I am. So <laughs> there's my experience. Paul, what about you? Uh, I didn't know anything about it until uh, Bob here said, hey, we're doing Rama. It's a sci-fi. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that sounds fun. It's about space. I go, yeah, I definitely want in on that. I, I'm a big space guy. I love space. The whole reason, okay, this is maybe too much information. The whole reason I decided to go with Rendezvous with Rama is because I promised Luke it was short. I was like, <laughs> hey, uh, off the heels of Dune, this will be fine. You can just read Rendezvous. It's a short book. It no is, big deal. It is short. It is short. Yep. It's yeah. what, 240 Mine is like 270, yeah, I want to say. Yeah. No, that's not 270. 274. 274. Oh, Look at that, yeah. I lied. So, um, but yeah, a short book, but still couldn't convince Luke. Luke uh, buzzed through Dune and it has a lot of work pressing on him. So he said, I'll come back for Soul Forge. And so. <laughs> oh, Soul Forge. I swore he watched yes. Dune instead. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. He just watched Dune. <laughs> he did. He could have been reading You are on, you are on this podcast. You don't even know it. <laughs> he was he was worried about children and. He, he did have a busy time. I mean, I will give him that. Yeah. So yeah. There's no faults there. He will eventually yes. return back to chair two i guess technically you're keeping it warm for him here club warm in chair two <sighs> so since <laughs> you've he's become chair two he is grubbing a little i bit. think since you've been promoted you got to buy the next round oh no Ooh. way we're on the compound baby i i got huh. some cm cannonball yeah. for us <laughs> yes i will say um folks listening in on the production quality this time around if things do sound a little different we are not in the su- studio that for this particular one we have actually gone to bob's compound and set up some microphones in the woods so if yeah. you ever, if at any point you hear a scream and one of us disappears we may have been eaten by a bear yeah so it we, should be let, let's just talk about quickly for uh audio quality things um yeah we did the two deeper delves which will come out before uh this episode uh really quick and you probably noticed the sound quality on those actually are not that great. And I was really nervous about actually even releasing them. Um, everything had sounded great through the earphones. We recorded both episodes back to back. And that's when I realized there's this constant hiss behind it. We kind of think our monitor's dying because even after a lot of work, there still seems to be a little bit of a, uh, a background residual hiss. We're going to try to work that out as we move along here. But there might be some of that here. But yeah, we, we got a pseudo studio going on here at the compound. We got four mics, so maybe all of our voices are a little bit more up in your face than normal. Hopefully that sounds okay. A little bit more clear, I would say. Hopefully, definitely yeah. clearer. But there might be that little bit background hiss that, gosh, I'm trying to reduce. But uh, I you know, think... It's the monitor. I mean, That's how, what blame. how old is this monitor? It's been running for a while. I don't know. It was pulled out of a basement, and I think it's time for an upgrade. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that'll do it. So, <laughs> Well, either way, let's uh, get our first round here we and have a lot get, to into talk ta- about. get into a yes. uh, little tavern talk, and then we'll get into Rendezvous with Rama. Meet you on the other side. Mm. Wait, wait, is, that, is that your wife, or is that the neighbor, Bob? I... Everything in the compound is in threes. <laughs> we don't serve there. Do you have any blue milk? Well, what am I supposed to find in it? Oh my goodness. It's bigger on the inside. I want to go to Taki's Station and get some power converters. Okay, okay, it's not a detonator, it's just a jammy dodger. What are the boys? Tavern talk. All right, we're back. I got a nice summer breeze blowing in through the windows here at the compound. The birds are singing. We got uh, Ronnie Doos in our hands. Okay, maybe just me. 
It's not a Ronnie do if you don't use Ron Diaz. Oh, that's true. <laughs> but I just like to say Ronnie Donnie do. It's a cat. It's a Captain do. It's a Captain Li- Captain Liberty do. You know, if you take the Mountain Dew Liberty brew and mix it with Captain Morgan Cannonball, that's got to be some sort of. Something Liberty ball? Liberty ball. Liberty ball. Liberty ball. There you go. Yeah, Liberty, Liberty ball. <laughs> It'll crack you. Uh, <laughs> here we are in the nice, easy breezy shade, not around a fire. But this is Tavern Talk, that portion of the show where we go around the table. We talk about um, what's going on in our nerd weeks. Uh, and so it, it's about 20 to 30 minutes. I don't know. So if you're skipping ahead, want to just get to rendezvous, go ahead about 20, 30 minutes. Uh, if iTunes still allowed us to have chapter breaks, they would be in. Come on, iTunes. Chapter breaks. Didn't know that existed. <laughs> oh, man. Back in the day when I was listening to podcasts, some of them would put in chapter breaks and you could fast forward between all the segments. Oh. It was beautiful. And for some reason, I don't know if nobody was using them because I would say most podcasts that I listened to did not. But it was a beautiful thing. Uh you know, if I listen to podcasts that had annoying things like Tavern Talk, I could, <laughs> skip, I could just skip it. <laughs> so, some people like Tavern Talk, some don't. Yeah, it's hard. Um, yeah. But, all right, so, Klob, how is your nerd week month? Well, um, truthfully, like I said in my introduction, and I didn't go long in my introduction this time around, because I've really been doing nothing. And it's everything I thought it could be. <laughs> it is wonderful, isn't it? I've been I've been playing I've been playing uh, my app games that I talked about last time. Mm. I still play um, Evolution Two, and I found this new racing one called Asphalt Nine, which I'm currently addicted oh, cool. to as well. I got hooked on Evolution as well. You got me into it. That's that's really what I've been doing. I do want to bring up something though. Is this stru- this struck me as a huge article? iTunes is going away. What? what? Mm-hmm iTunes, I, Apple is, Apple is going to start pulling iTunes here in the near future. Okay, we change of plans, boys. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. We're on Pod Beans. So what, what is what is Apple replacing it with? Uh, I'm looking right now on CNN because I pulled up the article about it. Apple announced on Monday that it would phase out iTunes on its upcoming operating system in favor of three new apps. Music, TV, and podcasts. Oh, so no. the, so instead of the old iTunes app that had everything, they're going to individualize. You know, this Why? actually could be awesome because the uh, the app maybe would start doing things like chapters again. Okay, you know, maybe there'd be more uh, more things that a podcast could use. Uh, that might be cool. I, that's true, but I just I, clutters and, the phone. Just and give me you know one what app. else. Maybe it could do. Um, I do an awful lot of changing the artwork. If you're on Podbean, you might notice that the artwork for each episode slightly changes when I have time. Um, and the only reason I'm not faithful about it is because iTunes, you guys get the same artwork all the time. I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. 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 Huh. I had noticed that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like yeah. Tavern, like, yeah, when we've done specials and stuff, they all have their own individual artwork. None of it gets seen by people on iTunes. It's all only Podbean. I didn't know that, mainly because I just go through iTunes. So I'm hoping if they do an app, maybe it'll take, uh, you know, every time you upload it, if it has different artwork, it will grab that. There we go. So that's cool. So, Neil, what have you been up to for the last six months since we've seen you? Well, I mean, I was just on one of the podcasts with you not that long ago. There definitely wasn't six months. <laughs> I mean, su- it was probably a month ago when I gave you some packs of cards, too. It's summer. I forget about things. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, let's see. Not too much. Trying to read as much as I can right now because we've got some downtime. I've been reading a wonderful book, Bob. I think you'd like it. What? However, you have to read book two 
to get to book three, which I'm currently on. Oh. oh. <laughs> Universal Hold on, let me go grab a knife to cut my wrists with. <laughs> oh, I wonder why. Hey, that would fit I in with the book. Blood magic. <laughs> anyway, that's currently where I'm at after finishing up the Broken Earth trilogy, which I've been slowly plugging away every couple weeks on the Facebook page. Mm, yeah. Which, let's do an informal poll here between the three other members at the table. Yeah. What style do you prefer to read? First person, third person, second person. Mm. Mm. Clab, we'll start with you. I'm a first person guy. I like to I like to pretend that I'm in the book. Bob, mm, I'm probably third person. Paul, I have no idea. It just depends on the book. I know uh, it's I, not what yeah, you want. I, I agree. It, it's yeah. not what you want, but it all depends on the book and what okay, style so it's written. Okay, I'm gonna plead ignorance here. What is second person? Second you. person is where the book is talking to you. You're, you're oh. You no, are don't here. Like you yeah. are doing that. It. I don't like. And oh, those are like choose your own adventure. In a sense, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like D and D, but not quite D and D. Okay. In a sense, so. but anyway, in that trilogy, one of the point of view characters, it's all written in second person. Okay. And the first book, oh, I think it took me half of it to finally get used to that second person perspective. Huh. And it was rough. Yeah. But right. by the time we got around to book three, it was much better, okay. and eventually. As we're recording this, tomorrow will be when I drop the third book onto the Facebook page there. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that goes. Otherwise, been prepping a lot of D&D stuff. That terrifies for, me. You're fine. You'll survive, maybe. <laughs> hey, I'm the cleric. So if, if I die, everybody dies. Uh, what level cleric are you right now? Uh, six? Five? Six. I don't yeah. actually know. So I've been doing a lot of prep for that, getting ready. As of today, a new app came out that I've been dinking around with as I've been here at the compound. It's called Wizards Unite. He's been, what he means by that, he's, he also dinks around with it in between when he's not talking. I can't. <laughs> Every time I'm not listening to you guys, that's where I'm at. He oh, is but, definitely the quintessential millennial where as other people are conversating, he is on his phone playing things. That's because I need to multitask and sometimes it, you guys say the same thing over each other's It shelves. drives me insane and I want to rip <laughs> off his head and crap down his neck hole. <laughs> See what I mean? So that's where, yep, if it's not something that pertains to where my thought is, I'm out. Can't do it. I agree. But anyway, it's called Wizards Unite, hmm. and it is basically Harry Potter Go, oh. based on all the Pokemon Go that came out in 2016, okay. except now with Wizards and stuff. Okay. And it's supposed to come out tomorrow. Someone messed up, and it got released today. That could be an entertaining moment. Yeah, nothing, nothing So we'll have to wait and see. But Yeah. And my final thought before I end my time here is, Club, I have a gift for you. Now you can't complain about your packs not being open because now you have land so you can make your deck for all of us to finally play. <laughs> I thought maybe this I thought maybe you went into my desk at work and took all the cards out. And no, I wouldn't go that far. I feel I, there's some sort of commentary here on notice how if a person doesn't have to work for their cards, but are handed the cards over and over again. You think it would work, right? Nothing actually nothing actually know. comes you, of it. You have to work. Yeah. Work for your eyes. I feel like I Magic the Gathering welfare is not working. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> well, we need a cards to work program. Damn it, Obama. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Obama. <laughs> Paul, what about you? Oh, for me, it has been a lot of reading uh, the Dune series briefly, and then uh, you know, you know, getting that's... hooked on Melange. Oh yes, yeah, so so hooked after the second book. 
no. Uh, <laughs> and then actually starting to read read Soul Forge again, getting back into the Dragon Lance. Ooh, Soul Forge coming in. Oh yeah, a little bit of Soul Forge is, is back. I'm not going to give any uh, hints as to my opinions yet, but I'm to be very honest, only like five chapters in, so can't really form one yet. And then another thing that the podcast is doing is uh, we're going to be dropping some YouTube videos, uh, Minecraft. Uh, I know absolutely nothing about Minecraft. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Luke and Zach are running me through that, teaching me a little bit about it. Um, it's an adventure. I'm terrible at it. Ooh, fun. Yeah, I've died a lot. Striking while the cubist iron is hot. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> they wanted to play it. I said, eh, sure, I'll try it. And then uh, playing Diablo three. Ooh, love Ooh, Diablo. I love Diablo. Yes, I figured. I figured that would get the best reaction out yeah. of out of uh, you guys. It is a newer version. You two. I mean, it probably has changed quite a bit since then. Oh. I'm, <laughs> I just, love- I'm just making sure. I saw how quick you were like, oh. yeah, it's it's changed a lot. Huh? Now, now, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to play Diablo with a controller. Oh, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I do not. PC. I do not play it on on with a controller. I use a. I'm a PC player. So it's all click mouse. It's fantastic. Nice. I love it. It is the dungeon crawler of dungeon crawlers. You just keep <laughs> going. The dungeon crawler of all the. I, I, I love agree. it. It I is the original. It. it is one of those original games that you can just always go back to and pick up almost right where you left off and just enjoy it. It's like Baldur's Gate. I know what that's came first, oh, yeah. Baldur's Gate or Diablo first? Diablo did, and then oh, Baldur's Gate. Uh, I think it was Diablo that came first. Diablo so won, it, and then Baldur's Gate. We're getting into the argument of D- Diablo D- versus... D&D jumping on the Diablo bandwagon? Probably. I don't know. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Google it right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check just right. to see. Well, which one will be faster here? Club oh, yeah. or Paul? Club. Oh, he started before the, me. I don't know. Riveting podcast. We have people Googling people things. So, things up. Diablo 3, highly recommend it, by the way, if anybody hasn't played uh, just a nice dungeon crawl game where you can just go through, kill waves of enemies, and pick up loot, and start all over again. I love that stuff when I need just something. I loot the body. Pretty much. Always. You always loot the body. As fast as possible. I loot the body. But otherwise, that's been about it. Summer has been good to me so far. Bob, what about you? Well, uh, you had uh, referenced Soul Forge. Yes, so I'm going to bring that up now. Oh, yes. We got a little bit of feedback. I had posted a picture of the Soul Forge book just kind of sitting next to some clocks saying it's only a matter of time, right? Uh, because, hey, our Dragonlance listeners are our best listeners. And I, I, I'm stoked to return. You guys have won me over. Uh, I hate to say it. Uh, starting out, I'm probably the most hated person on the podcast by all Dragonlance fans. Uh, because of my vitriol for the first uh, trilogy, I've definitely softened on that. Um, and then Legends, which I basically loved. Um, and now we're coming in. I can't wait to get to these next three books. It's just summer now just feels like a time for the Lance. So I'm looking forward to it. But I posted that picture. We instantly got a response. Brendan said, ah, no Lorana in that one. <laughs> to which... Uh, down the way a bit, Justin said, Brendan, if Lorana really existed, I'm afraid she might have to get a restraining order on you. <laughs> then Brendan says, actually, she'd have to get a restraining order on all of us. <laughs> That's, she has a, he has a very valid point. She probably, I feel like she would have a lot of restraining orders on I, a lot yeah. of different people. And I do like how our fans are having conversation back and forth. 
Uh, this is, is exactly yeah. what I'd like to see more of. Yeah, uh, there's an awesome back and forth between Justin and Brendan. I, I, I feel like we should do like some sort of spinoff show where it's just those two guys uh, in a room talking about Dragonlance because uh, we're just like dipping our toes into Dragonlance. If you're a super Dragonlance fan, you probably like these guys don't know anything about the universe, which is true. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> Wholeheartedly. Yeah. Wholeheartedly. Yeah. Uh, these guys are like the uber sensei Jedi masters of the Dragonlance universe. And I love to listen to them or, or read them go back and forth to each other. But in terms of uh, my nerd universe, I've been, I think last time I, during our Dune thing, I said I was reading books by uh, Andrew J. Offit. I did King Dragon, and I've continued down that rabbit hole. He's got a trilogy. I've only got the first two. I don't have the third one, so that's got to be coming in the mail at some point. But Demon in the Mirror and the Eyes of Sarsis. I love this. They look just like classic pulp. Yeah, they are classic, classic pulps. Pulp. This is definitely a Red Sonja ripoff. So if you're any kind of fan of Red Sonja, which by the way, the Red Sonja, everybody knows, I've said this before, is is not what Robert E. Howard even wrote. But um, the Red Sonja, as everybody knows, this guy was trying to cash in on that. But they are a lot of fun. Like uh, It follows this girl um, named Tiana, and it's like a ju- dungeon crawl. Like This guy obviously... Um, was influenced by D&D, or if not, if you're a D&D fan, read it for the pulpy kind of ideas that you could throw into your very traditional dungeon crawl, right? Like, it's it's very much... Remember, I had you read to your class, Paul, uh, Robert E. Howard's Left Hand of Doom. Oh, yes. Yeah, right, the yeah. piece that we did. Um, it's like Left Hand of Doom, where there's like... it's, But it's more morbid. They need to reassemble the body of a fallen magician. And so they have to travel all over, acquiring his hands and legs and torso <laughs> to put them back together. And the hands still kind of crawl around. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, that makes sense. Neil, no, don't take notes. Yeah. I'm already taking them. Yeah. Crap. Mental. There's a there's a lot of that great. It's very much almost every chapter is almost I would say like a standalone dungeon crawl, right? Okay. Like where no. she has to go and retrieve the hand from this place and the torso from this. But it's a lot of fun. Um, so wait, hang on a second. Yeah, each chapter is basically a module of D and D. Base. That reminds me of something. This a sounds very bit. familiar, Bob. Yeah. Even though I wasn't on that set of books. Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, how, what are the similarities yeah. that you've noticed in that sense? Okay, so yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm just curious here. Just you know, person no, you, on actually, that cast. Yep. Actually, Neil, you are 100 percent correct um, in that. Uh, I ripped apart Dragonlance for feeling like a module, but that is, again, I think expectation level is where I came in thinking, hey, we're getting the next Lord of the Rings, whereas when I pick up, and I hope listeners just Google Demon in the Mirror. It is <laughs> so a you fantastic. Can, you can see the picture of this uh, of the front cover of this book. Um, my expectations aren't high for this. I know what I'm getting. A risque sword and sorcery uh, book. Uh, on in the lines of Conan the Barbarian, and it's a light summer read, so I was not expecting much. It's it's if you like Ray Har- Harryhausen Gumby creatures, you're gonna like uh, Demon in the Mirror. <laughs> something something you can read while laying in the hammock, just kind of drifting the in the wind and not really pay attention. You can to end it. at the end of every chapter because yeah. every chapter is a great ending point. Yeah. Uh, so that's great. Actually, I probably should save it for the next time because I probably won't. It'll take me a while to get to him, but I'm I'm also delving into Fritz Leiber. Um, his whole Fawford and the Grey Mouser series came, so I'm going to read some of those. They're great. And also, I'm going to get started on the Horse Clans book. 
which uh, Robert Adams, I've heard a lot of good things about the horse clans. And again, when I say good things, I like me some campy crap, okay? <laughs> uh, so um, I'm okay, okay with it being kind of campy. So that's basically what my nerd summer has been. And I think, Claude, you said you have been doing absolutely nothing. I haven't even checked my email, I think, in and like... It is a wonderful thing, <laughs> isn't month. it? It is a wonderful thing to just not have to worry about it. I agree. This is why, like, hey, uh, if, if parents are wondering, hey, I've been trying to contact my teacher over the summer to ask about my student and they're not responding... They're talking about books with friends at a podcast, not, <laughs> not checking their email at all. Well, maybe we should get to the point here where we actually do something, since our listeners ha- have lives, yes. and let's actually get into Rendezvous with Rama, let's pour another Liberty Ball, and <laughs> I like get it. rolling. Yes, the Liberty Ball. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's, uh, let's pour another one. All right, hey, I'll Bob, go. go get wife number two. We go first. Ooh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a DeLorean, isn't it? Scales, yeah. you're always in my favor. I might have driven a DeLorean here. I pull up a chair, friend. Come. All right, well, we're back, and I'm bringing it back now after this Tavern Talk, weird. so this is a little weird. <laughs> um, one of the things that I think we always have to look at when we talk about the cl- when we talk about the classic sci-fi stuff is uh, I I always like to do a little uh, little author like a deeper delve into the author and get Ooh, some information about, about the author themselves because I think that a lot of times books like Rendezvous with Rama like 2001 a Space Odyssey really speak about their time and their time's perception of stuff. So, Bob, you have a bunch of information on Arthur C. Clarke that you thought was kind of interesting that you wanted to share with us. Right. I mean, I, I had read Rendezvous with Rama when I was a kid, but I never looked into the author. I don't know if a lot of people out there are like me, but I read books. I don't really care about the authors, their backstories, their lives, things like that, but I actually found this pretty interesting. Arthur C. Clarke, one of the big three heavy hitters of sci-fi from the classic era, so people should know about him, so... Pre prepared to get schooled, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Arthur C. Clarke uh, was born uh, December 16th, 1917, in Minehead, Somerset, England. So he's a good old English chap. Oh, right? yes. He, he's, he, he lives on a farm out in the country. Right. And I love this because I, I, looking up, I mean, when he was a young farm kid, he was really primed for science fiction and fantasy early. You know, he's one of those kind of kids yep. who just wandered around, it seemed like, daydreaming. He was a stargazer, he says. What I found interesting is I don't know what was going on in England at the time, but I was reading, uh, they said that cigarette packs at the time contained dinosaur cards. You got to start them young, man. <laughs> yeah, start them young. So Weren't that... you traumatized by the dinosaur pack cards at one point that you fo- no, your parents those, found? No, those were uh, dinosaur attacks Oh, cards. yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> but there was these little dinosaur cards, I guess, in cigarette packs. I don't know if his dad gave them to him or what. But He said... probably just went and bought them. It's, it's England. Uh, <laughs> it's England, and it's like 1927. I feel like even the English do things smarter than us. Like, I just <laughs> imagine a bunch of men standing around the pub like, hey. So, I was reading about this Ankylosaurus uh, last night. Can you believe it? It grew to over 10 meters in length. (laughs) I just, I have to ask you one question, Bob. Do you find this interesting because this is basically your life as a kid? I find it interesting because this is me. You lived on a farm, (laughs) right? 
Uh, you were interested in the science fiction. You were interested in the fantasy. You busied yourself with stargazing. You you have a telescope, don't yes, you? Yes, I do. Uh, so, so Arthur C. Clarke starts out a lot like me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, even di- down to the dinosaur cards. Maybe not in cigarette uh, packs. But this inspired him, right? Um, and his he attributes his interest in sci-fi to articles that he read in the pulp magazine Amazing Stories, right? Okay. So as he gets into his teens, he ends up joining the Junior Astronomical Association. He Pause. Even, Did you I, join any astronomical association? So I was really big into Carl Sagan. Yeah. <laughs> and so I... Because Carl Sagan's awesome. Don't worry about it. Because Carl Sagan's awesome. Yeah. And so he inspired me to join the Planetary Society. Nice. So I get the quarterly publication of the Planetary Society oh, for dear. like two years. I'm sorry. Hey, um, dude. <laughs> Space is awesome. It's awesome. So um, he even contributed to their journal Urania. Um, he en- ends of up course. Li- what a of name. Of course. <laughs> he moves to London and there. I love this because this is that awesome time where so many of these big names are going to hang out together. I could not find who's, who were these science fiction writers that he was hanging out with. But in London, he ha- hung out with a bunch of them. My guess would be a bunch of pulp writers, right? That maybe. Oh, he probably read all their stuff and tried to find... Because he, he read about all the pulp magazines, stuff like that, right. right? So he probably went and said, well, hey. But this was a, and this was a big time in the history of the world, too, as we go going through the 20s, 30s, the 40s. We're learning more about the universe. We're learning more about our own Earth as we go through here. We're even eventually, as time goes on, gearing up for the space race and everything else that's happening. Right. Well, and I think, based off of what I'm seeing here in the notes, I think the fact that he loves space influenced him to join the Royal Navy Air Force. Oh, right? oh for no, sure. sorry, the Royal Air Force during World War II. Is he he loved space? He loved learning about that and flying just one step closer. Right. Well, and then he he does a lot with radar during during his service uh, it, during World War II. Uh, and I mean, he was no I thought, slouch. Radar, I thought radar was the Korean War. <laughs> Suicide is painless. <laughs> oh, I love that. But he ended Nash. up holding the fl- the rank of flight lieutenant uh, and was an RAF chief training instructor, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but out at, after leaving the military, he attended King's College of London. He received degrees in physics, mathematics. He was a major contributor to the idea of geostationary satellites. Not so much the invention of geostationary satellites, but that they could be used for communications. So I guess right now, geostationary satellites are a huge thing. All of us are using them, even right now. Um, we, I guess, have Arthur C. Clarke to thank. So what I love about this is he's not an author who's... Who doesn't know what he's talking about? He's talking about writing about science fiction, but this guy um, is an honest to goodness scientist. Yeah, right. Like mm-hmm. I mean, this guy. Has he did not problems. just find his facts on the internet from one article that said something. <laughs> like is... I just did with Wikipedia. <laughs> hey, I was going more along the lines of anti-vax, but that works too. Oh, oh man, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm just saying, he has the knowledge, and it shows when you're going through the different chapters of what he is saying. When you get to, here's why this is done. This is done because of this. This thing was here. It's yes. not made up science. Right. It yeah. is stuff that yes. he knew. Which I've heard some critics of the book have lobbed against him, is that the book is too scientific or factual-based. I don't feel that it ever impedes on my enjoyment of the book. Well, and I think to have enjoyable science fiction, you need that real science yes. piece to it, no matter how like fantastic you're getting. Yes. Whether you're, you know, it's Star Wars, uh, Arthur C. Clarke, 2001, Star
Star Trek, any Babylon Five, anything like that. Right. You need that. You need real science aspects to make mm-hmm. it believable. Yep. Your ships just don't magically tool throughout the universe. <laughs> yeah. That is and called this, fantasy, not science fiction. This, you know, that was that was one of my favorite things. Um, I'm I'm a huge Firefly fan. Oh, Firefly. Huge Firefly. Fire. Fire. I can't speak today. <laughs> Too many F's. Firefly fan. And that was one of the coolest things I always thought about Firefly is anytime that you were getting, you were getting shots outside the ship, it was silent. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Yep. There was no Good. engine noise. There was nothing because that's the way it really would be in space. Yeah. And yeah. so that's one of the things that Arthur C. Clarke here does so beautifully, I think, mm-hmm. is... I, yes, I agree. I do understand. Some of the deep delves into the scientific conversations are just like, okay, I'm reading this to get to the next part. <laughs> yeah, right. But mm-hmm. some of them, especially when he's describing the interior of Rama and talking about the different machinations and different things that are happening, they're dead on for what would be happening scientifically, and it makes it that yep. much more real. And this, mm-hmm. this book really reminded me of The Martian. It came out Ooh, before yeah. The Martian. I feel right. like the yeah. writer of The Martian... Must have taken some influence from this book. Uh, probably. This Just is, because it's yeah, so... No. The Martian tries to be as scientific as it can. There are some parts where they got it wrong. But, right. you know, that happens in all science fiction books. No. There's some parts that are going to be wrong. I, I, I completely agree. And I think most people who are attracted to science fiction usually come at it because they are attracted to science itself. Yes. Mm-hmm. And usually enjoy science. And do get a little... I mean, all of us will give science fiction its due when for the sake of plot Correct. or story development you've got to make something up or fudge the science that's that is, why it's fiction and yeah. not science non-fiction exactly. yeah. so but it's for fine. the most yeah. part the more you can shave the closer you can shave towards reality I think the better you have uh, for, for your book um, but anyway uh, I love this Clark ends up living in Sri Lanka from about 1956 until his death in 2008, he moved there to satisfy his other love, which was scuba diving. So he loves scuba diving, which, hey, if you can't be an astronaut, the zero-G of the water. Yep, mm-hmm. that's right? what I was mm-hmm. just going to Good say. trade. Yeah. Good trade. Zero-G yeah. must be fun. And talk about luck. He's on a dive with this guy named Mike Wilson. He discovers the ruins of an ancient temple in 1950. What? <laughs> yeah, which has become like a popular diving spot. He's on a dive just by accident he found? Like they weren't yeah, looking... Swimming around, and all of a sudden they find the the remains of an ancient temple. Unbelievable. I can't do that here in Minnesota. Yeah. He was a big name, and the Sri Lankan government uh, loved him so much that they even, like, granted him, like, permanent guest status. Uh, So when his friend, which we'll talk about his friendship with Robert Heinlein, came to visit him, the Air Force even flew them around the country to sightsee. Like, he was kind of big time in Sri Lanka. Which is kind of a dream of mine. Could I just go to Sri Lanka and be big time? Well, you know, where did your childhood and his childhood diverge? I mean, you started the same. He right. went author. I think we're you coming up to it right compound? here. It's, 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 all because, it's all because Bob yeah. never joined. It's right, right coming up here. And also, I mean, you weren't around during World War this II. Is, this is definitely where my life and his life diverge. So yep. in 1956, Clark married and then quickly divorced 22 22-year-old divorcee Marilyn Mayfield. Clark never remarried, but in Shri, but in Sri Lanka was close to a man named Leslie Akanayake. I don't know if I, I butchered that. I know. Um, whom Clark called his only perfect friend of a lifetime. Um, so obviously this begs the question, so was Clark, was he gay? His biographer, John Baxter, does cite that Clark probably moved to Sri Lanka because he was gay and things were uh, more open 
in, in Sri Lanka, but I love what Clark has to say. Clark never did come out, and when asked if he was gay, replied, nope, merely mildly cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> well played, Clark. Um, another favorite author of mine, author Michael Moorcock, did uh, confirm that he was, and in 1986... Clark was asked in an interview in Playboy magazine, ironically, whether or not he'd had a bisexual experience, and he replied, of course. Who hasn't? (laughs) (laughs) What? Interesting. So we are starting to diverge uh, here. Uh, Uh, That's the only divergent point. (laughs) Just just, just slightly. Just a little bit. Not even in college? (laughs) (laughs) That's for another podcast that we haven't made yet. Yeah, that we haven't made yet. Talk about a deeper delve. His, fr- his good friend Isaac Asimov, though, did state that Arthur-, Arthur did not publicize his sexuality, and that wasn't the focus of his life. And I agree. The focus of uh, Clark's life is mm-hmm. well beyond the scope of was he gay or not. Um, his body of work is amazing. I love a lot of his books. And beyond that, um, his contributions to science are amazing yeah. as well. He did die, though, of respiratory heart failure in 2008, uh, stemming from polio uh, that he had. Um, ironically, I do like this little part. Um, just hours before he died, they detected a large gamma ray burst that reached Earth. It was a new record as the farthest object that could be seen with the naked eye from the Earth. And Larry Sessions, who's a contributor to Sky and Telescope magazine, uh, suggested that it should be called the Clark Event. Um, so I thought that was kind yeah. of a fitting tribute to a sci-fi author, a great sci-fi author and scientist, that as he died, there was this massive gamma ray burst. Absolutely. You know, um, the they did not. Moved. Unfortunately, yep. how great would it have been if they'd have called it the Clark Event, but they didn't. What, what, <laughs> what did stupid name it? did they give it? I don't even know. Exactly. <laughs> See, if it was named the Clark Event, we would, we would know about it. But By that time, half of the scientists were probably millennials, and they didn't know who Clark was. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so on to his sci- sci-fi publishing. Um, I mean, he, he published in fanzines. He, Loophole was his first actual publication in Astounding Science, and his first novella was Against the Fall of Night. But let's, I think, probably get up to uh, all of the stuff that everybody knows best, right? And 2001 series, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he wrote 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, the movie comes out in 1968, and in 1982, the sequel novel uh, in two, 2010 comes out. Right? All right. So I, who's seen 2001? I, I have a confession. What? Uh, I have not seen or read anything related. This is the first... Paul, I have a confession to make as well. I have not seen... Or read anything else by Clark. This please. is the first thing I have gone through. Please don't hit us, Bob. Bob, Bob. don't hit us. Bob, put the Bob, axe down. You know, Bob, if, uh, no, if no. Bob wasn't in the bathroom right now. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Uh, so neither of them have seen 2001. Nope. Have either, have either of you read it? Nope. Nope. Oh, my God. Uh, and then the follow-up, 2010, which is not necessarily no. as great, but I still loved it. It caused me to love, fall in love with Europa. <laughs> oh, it's it's nice, though. It's, it's actually, 2001 is something, something I'm going to reference a ton when yeah. we talk about Rendezvous with Rama. He already did in the text messages on the group feed. Oh, yes, because, <laughs> because of the fact that the uh, I, I drive so much. I spend so much time in my vehicle. 
that um, I again I do do the audiobooks a lot, and right. I read this again years ago when I was mm-hmm. refreshing with the audiobook. The old audiobook for this one, the one that's for free on YouTube. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh dear! It sounds like Hal from 2001: A Space Odyssey <laughs> is reading you the book. Yes, I listened to this because one as well is, on double speed, and, yeah, it be, and it's creepy. It makes yeah. everything so much more creepy when the <laughs> voice is talking to you like this, and there is no emotion. It, I'm sorry. I cannot do that. <laughs> right, which I think in a lot of ways there isn't, there isn't a lot of emotion besides awe in this book, which, which right. for, for sure happens. Um, it is interesting, though, that uh, the, the movie 2001, although you know lauded as being one of the greatest science fiction movies or the greatest science fiction movie of all time, uh, Clark didn't love it. He reportedly left the theater in tears uh, after watching the 11-minute jogging scene uh, <laughs> because uh, he was writing the book from... His original book was called The Sentinel. They took that, reworked it, uh, and I guess um, Stanley Kubrick was like, hey, collaborate with me, and he was going to write the book, and the book was supposed to come out before the movie, and I don't know, there was a lot of tension there. I didn't read into it between Clark uh, and and Kubrick, didn't Mm -hmm. end up liking each other out of this, and um, so the book does not match up with the movie in all instances and that's because basically it sounds like Clark was kept out of the loop in some cases so much so that when the next one 2010 comes out I do like this Clark does appear in the movie in Odyssey 2 2010 is he flipping the bird to the camera well he's feeding birds he's Ah. a guy feeding the pigeons (laughs) but this I think is better when the uh the uh Bowman's uh, astronaut Bowman's mother is in a hospital room. You can see there's magazines there, uh, a Time magazine cover which shows Clark as the president of the United States and Kubrick as the Soviet premier. Uh, <laughs> oh, there you go. Which then this movie came out, of course, at the end of the kind of the Cold War, so it was definitely a. Slight. It's a nice touch. But hey. This will all pave the ground for the book we're going to be talking about now, which is called Rama, right? Rendezvous with Rama. It was in the early 1970s that because of the prestige he gained off of 2001, that a book company signed him to write three books, which was unheard of. No Sci-fi was not big money. And so for a book company to say, hey, author, we'll give you upfront money to write three books... Was unheard of. He That's ends up... where he got the Ramans do things in threes. <laughs> oh, That's where it was. It was That's, the company. That's what it was. So his first book out the gate was Rendezvous with Rama. So note that it comes out in in seventy three. Um, it was optioned for a movie, which has been in development hell right up till now. Morgan Freeman is really champ, wants it. Really yep. wants it, right? Uh, David Fincher was attached to it for a while, but they just Ooh. say they can't get a script. There, there is a nice uh, little trailer uh, for one that yeah. I that fan I saw on YouTube. I think it's fan fan made. Made. Yeah, it's, it was some art student. I think it's Freeman that says it should be in 3D, which I wholeheartedly agree. This would be an awesome 3D. Movie. And yeah. with a lot of that, I know a lot of the complaints. Like looking around when you first and Bob, when you first said, "Hey, do you want to do Rama?" I'm like, "Sure." Well, of course, I had to look it up. And one of the big complaints that a lot of people have mm-hmm. is the first book. It's really heavy on the exploration and the science, but the character development, there's not as much. So now, as a film studio, how are you going to come up with a script that doesn't have a lot of character development, but try to base it on something from someone who's passed away for a long time? Your script would have to have some sort of character development. You you would have to create things that aren't in the book. Yes, correct. And and I think there's worry with that. You have to introduce Norton. You have to somehow get us to care about him. Yeah, there has to be some sort of relationships going on between him and the rest of his crew that develop as they go along. Yeah. Well, and as vivid and wonderful as the descriptions are in this book, right? 
there's not a lot, you know, I mean, there's not a lot of action. There's not a lot of things going no. on. You have a ton of beautiful scientific description and it's right. written well, but then your film is a half an hour long when you actually get in no. and explore. I, and I, I agree. Unless it's the, the mm. bike scene would be cool. If, oh, unless absolutely. it's epic. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> one scene. Hey, done. but if they if they can do have an eleven minute two thousand one scene with a guy walking the gerbil wheel, why couldn't we just be flying in the dragonfly for half an hour? That, <laughs> you know, then it's so, not then it's yeah. not a feature film. Then it's something yeah. you're going to watch. It's an IMAX that. movie. Yeah, an yeah, IMAX no, experience. I was going to say I, I was going to say the planetarium, yeah. but the IMAX that, that or some indie film. It's yeah. gonna. It could be some indie that film, would be cool. like that... Moon, like they did with Moon, where it's all quiet and people are staring at things and everything else. Mm-hmm. It'd be cool. Yeah. Um, this book did win the Hugo and Nebula Awards, among many others. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is said that what we're going to be talking about is based on something called the O'Neill Cylinder. I'm going to say that's a bunch of crap because uh, this guy named Gerard K. O'Neill, uh, who was uh, working at a university. He conceptualized the idea uh, with the help of his college class. And what I could read about it, it basically sounds like he gave a homework assignment to his kids and was like, hey, create livable environments in space. And they all came back. And it sounds like he kind of took credit for it by publishing a book in 76, which, of course, is three years after Clark came out with his Rama book. Isn't that how most professors do that, though? They have the undergrads or the grad students do everything, and then the professors kind of... I mean, hey, if I could be a professor... The idea for Rama, I don't know if if he got it, was from a guy named Herman Oberth, which did describe... He did describe a giant habitable cylinder in his 1954 book called, and I'll butcher this, Menschen im Weltraum, which is German. It means people in space. Um, But... Two more things before we get into the book. What I think is awesome, in this book there is a project called Space Guard, right, which detects the early comet. Yep. It's a real it's a real program. So because of this mm-hmm. book, and scientists are nerds who read this stuff, a real Space Guard was started in 1992. Clark did have input. Um, and after the Hollywood disaster films that now you guys probably remember, Deep Impact, Armageddon, yep, yep. it cu- created a wave of like, oh my God, near-Earth asteroids, could they ever destroy us, blah, blah, hey, blah. if we can't build that wall around our country, we gotta build. <laughs> we got to be able to detect stuff hey, as they come in. I was in. all behind this. Uh, the The... I think we should be tracking space around us and find out if giant asteroids are going to destroy us. They destroyed the dinosaurs. We got to keep a handle on them. We got to figure that out and also get rid of some of that space debris. (laughs) You know? Uh, Nuclear waste. Dump them into black holes. Um, But anyway, Problem solved. Problem (laughs) solved. Um, But anyway, Congress ends up... I I don't see any way that that could go poorly. I don't think that could happen. The next dimension, it would go badly for. But uh, (laughs) Congress funneled in more money. Um, into it, and by 2017, the program was pretty robust, along with many other programs that were doing the same thing. And this led, which I thought was cool, the last thing, in October 19th of 2017, an object, and I lost my crap when they first discovered this, um, it was discovered by the, and I cannot say this, it's Hawaiian, I'm sorry, Halekalala Observatory in sure. Hawaii? Yep, sure. Sure. Hi, we're from northern Minnesota. We don't. And by we, the way, right now well. on the compound, the internet is down, so I can't listen to Google tell me. <laughs> um, so, the woes of the compound. But eventually they named this, uh, forever they were calling it Rama. They were like, yeah. it is Rama. It is this long, it is uh, oddly shaped, and it's long, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a weird object coming into our solar system. Um, they've called it Oumuamua, which means first distant messenger uh, in Hawaiian, but... Um, it's Rama to everybody else. To me, it'll always be Rama. There was a Rama, although it's way smaller than Rama. Well, way yeah, too small. But, but we'll allow it. 
We'll allow it. It's Maybe okay. the aliens are small, man. So it was know. not no the knows. real Rama, but let's get to the real Rama. You got a <laughs> yeah. synopsis for us there, Bob? I do. All right. <laughs> let's hear it. It's a shorty. Oh, good. Rendezvous with Rama, published by Harcourt Brace Jovanovich, August 1973. The year is 2,131. Scientists of Space Guard detect an object entering our solar system, which causes some mild curiosity. However, as observation continues, it is revealed that the object is huge and rotating fast, but oddly along its axis. No tumbling, as asteroids should. The object is given a Hindu name, because they've run out of all the others, called Rama, and a probe is sent to investigate. Turns out, Rama is a perfect cylinder. Man is not alone in the universe. Assuming that if the aliens send us a giant rotating beer keg, then we should go tap it and have a party. <laughs> Our solar survey vessel, the Endeavor, and its crew are diverted to rendezvous with the alien ant farm. The crew, led by Commander Bill Norton, enter the ship and find within a completely enclosed environment. The inner surface of the giant spinning Coors Light can is a mer- is a mysterious and perplexing array of incomprehensible alien technology. Rama's rotation allows the crew to walk on the inner surface under simulated gravity. Rama contains, in quotation marks, cities, and quotation marks, canals, and quotation marks, roads, along with a giant cylindrical sea which girdles the middle of the can. Massive cones rise from the southern end of Rama, through exploration and exposition, the deep mystery that is Rama is, well, only barely scratched. And as Rama approaches the sun, the crew of the Endeavor must leave the wondrous world of Rama as the alien ship passes through the corona of the sun, gathering energy and continuing on its journey to the cosmos, completely indifferent to the wanderings and musings of man. But we are left with one final statement from a scientist... The Ramans do everything in threes. Okay, so there's continuations to this book, so we'll get to them at the end. Oh, yeah. I was, I was going to say, there's... <laughs> I read them all when I was I, a kid. I haven't read them. I got stuff to say about those. But let's talk about Rendezvous with Rama. Chapter 1, Space Guard. We open with the narrator discussing the meteorites that hit the Earth in 1908. I love this. This is the Tunguska meteorite mm-hmm. incident that a lot of people say was... A, it was Tesla. Was it a UFO? I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> some people say it was a black hole, right? But a crazy thing... Black hole, we'd all be dead. 1947. Yeah. I don't know what they're referring to there. Some sort of 1947 event. I didn't look it up. I leave, left it in my notes. Look up. I never looked it up. Oh. <laughs> well, when the internet's down, the compound's hard to do. When the yeah, internet's yeah. down, you can't look stuff up. Um, but we rush forward to 2077, where the Earth is violently hit by a third asteroid. The Earth unites and treats Space Guard. And creates Space creates Force. Space. <laughs> that was my only thought. was because of how modern it is right now with... Trump yes. creating Space Force. Yeah, it's true. And that was, I had to put it in there. But. Yeah. Space Force. Gotta join it. I would love that. I'd love to go up in space. I would love to be in space. Yeah, I do. If I have to sign up for Space Force, I will, I would, I would do that. I would do that right now. Like, I don't care how it, I don't care who does it, uh, just as long as some sort of space force gets made and I can join. Yeah. You and Elon are going to get in a car. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Drive it. Oh. Elon, if you're listening, I'd like to come as well. Right. I think but I like this. This would. is very forward thinking in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. humans, uh, their lifespans are very short. Yep. And so to think about 
um, the dangers posed by asteroids and near-Earth objects. Um, well, and I, it's pretty real. I do like how, like in most books and in, like in life, something terrible has to happen before humans can actually work together I, and not well, kill right. each yeah. other. Yeah. <laughs> so it kinda, it's a nice little statement of, hey, something terrible happened. We are all together. Let's go right. and get out there. But it's true. I yeah. mean, you look at, for example, Watchmen as another instance of that. Look at Ozymandias's final plan. I'm going to make it look like Dr. Manhattan or, nope, sorry, that was the other version. <laughs> Caused all these things to go wrong and da 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 Now everyone's together. Nuclear war's avoided. Hey, everything's great. But Rorschach's journal is still sitting in that newspaper somewhere <laughs> where things could go downhill. So what is going to go downhill with this wonderful collaboration right now. Right. And later something kind of does go kinda downhill some, when we get to it, but yeah. For, that's a lot of foreshadowing right, right. now. What Sorry. I, <laughs> and that's and that's one of the aspects of humanity too is there's always an asshole. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's why we can't work yeah. together yep. as human that beings is, is there's always wrong. that one person who right. is just an asshole. And it's true. That's true. And we'll get yeah. to him both of them. Mercurians. Mercurians. <laughs> I always, yeah, yeah. whenever I saw that, I had to pause because I always wanted to go Martians. Yeah, but it's yeah. Mercurians. Is it Mercurians? Do they call them that? Sure, I'm I just going made with, that up. Let's go with it. No, 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 okay. Okay. Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. Hermes. Hermes. Yeah. Hermes. Because they like switching back and forth between Greek and Roman all the time. Okay. The Greek Mercury. Yeah. So, chapter two, Intruder. It is the year two thousand one hundred and thirty. And by the way, time really starts to flip around in here like, a little bit oh yeah it's it's mm-hmm. it's all over the place which i like because and again we are we're going to be following eventually one character which this is a lot like 2001 where yes. we're going to get into commander norton but at first we're going to be going through a lot of build up or lead up to this so the intruder it's the year 2130 like we said in the summary uh we now track asteroids regularly and we now find an asteroid what i love about this is all of our planets have been named after greek and roman gods and I mean, yeah, we've run out of Greek and Roman yep. gods. Let's switch to the Hindu pantheon. We're going to name this one Rama. I well, and know. think about think about the way the way that a lot of things are named too, um, whether it's hurricanes, tropical storms, uh, things like that too. Is you start in the alphabet, and so we've been monitoring all of these asteroids that have been flying by the Earth now for so long that we've they're already down into the R's in the Hindu yeah. names. They've, <laughs> right. they've seen a lot. Right, the seventh avatar of the Hindu god Vishnu. <laughs> I, <laughs> so I don't know if there's been. Did they name him after the first? Must have. Six? They must have. Probably. I don't know. Sure. I uh, just like the fact here, though, that there's all these scientists trying to get time to look at things. Yeah. And the fact that somebody messed up with a 50 cent capacitor. Like, <laughs> it's one of the cheapest things they probably have on this thing. Yeah. That's what gets the guy just that little bit of time right. to but, go and look. It's all of those know, small things, man. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I, I do believe that that is the reality of it. Uh, this, is, this, I think, goes back to Clark's knowing what the scientific community is like. I yep. mean, this seems similar mm-hmm. to stories I read. I think, I don't know if this is correct or not, but the guy who discovered the, um, the signal... Um, the, the wow signal. The wow. Yeah. The wow signal. I believe was not supposed to have time on the radio telescope. I think something yeah. like. Yeah. I feel like something like that There's, is where a lot of yeah. these things came. There from. are yeah. so many but. different scientific uh, things that have been found. Yeah. Just by pure accident. Pure accident. Yeah. It's yeah. it's one of those where it's kind of amazing that people will claim that yeah we we know this now 
we we learned it entirely by screwing up. Yeah. yeah. And he does name him, uh, you know, astronomer William Stenton. Who cares? We never <laughs> we never we talk never about meet him again. This guy yeah. again. <laughs> but we do find out it's rotating way too fast. It's Very like four, fast. Mi- four minute four minute rotation minute time, which which yeah. for how huge it is is crazy. Yes. So he thinks it could be a collapsed sun, um, which uh, <coughs> I was finding they believe is a reference to H.G. Wells's book, The Star. Like he's mm-hmm. referencing mm-hmm. Okay. This, this book that he did called The Star, um, which huge H.G. Wells fan. Go, go read him. Chapter three, Rama and Sita. So Space Advisory Council meets, which we're going to get a lot of this Space Advisory Council. And a lot of exposition through them. Yes, there's a lot of exposition through them and just a lot of... The, the council, again, it's this is Clark's commentary on the UN. Mm-hmm. It, it's totally For his sure. commentary on the UN. It's a bunch of guys sitting in a room having a pissing match <laughs> over stuff that they're not actually involved in. And yes. Don't, yes. They, don't yes. they even talk about it? Where for The very he, first paragraph yeah, is, is basically, where, we have all these conservative scientists in leadership position. This is great. Well, <laughs> and don't they talk about uh, the UN actually existing, where, it, uh, where Norton goes? There was a time where it wasn't just seven different yes. planets there was no. the 200 and some and he goes how could how did they ever work together and well and i uh, love how uh, exactly. isn't there kind of a talk about like so what should be a planet and who should even be let in yeah, yes. yes. yeah. yeah. why is, is the moon here this is the u.n <laughs> yeah the moon is a satellite it's not a planet you shouldn't even be here we're on the moon <laughs> and, and it's the one and the one dude and of course the dude from earth is just a and won't even come to the. They won't even show up to the meeting. Everybody else has flown into the moon for the meeting. He's in a holograph form, sitting on his couch and on Earth. <laughs> and, and isn't it like the moon is the second most populated? Yes. Body. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But the they give it, and I didn't write it down, but it's it's not high. Like it feels like human population after this last event, or maybe it's controlled mm-hmm. at this point, is not high. Yeah, well, I mean, no. they do talk about some control later on in the book where uh, the captain and anybody that goes into space is sterile. They do sterilize anybody that's in space for an extended period of time because they don't, maybe they don't know what's going on, what would happen. It's one of those where it's right. just, a, mm-hmm. I think, something they do if you go in space. Right, but, but his, like, when we get to Norton, his semen will have been collected, that's right? True. Yeah, yeah, he has to yeah. ask so for permission. A, yeah, so permission maybe, for children. Yeah, yeah, yeah he has to yeah. get a permit. Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll permit. <laughs> you gotta, basically, uh, you gotta, gotta get, get a permit. A, gotta get a parent. So I gotta go down to city hall, get me, get, get myself that parenting permit before I put the new deck on. So <laughs> are, are we being painted a vision of a utopian future, or is this definitely like a dystopian future? I don't think it's dystopian as much as uh, again, it's one of the things that makes this book feel really real. Yes, as they, it's, it's he's, a continuation uh, of our existence. Exactly, Clark is being very honest about how he feels people would act it's not this you know it's not the the you know the wonderfulness of the united federation of planets where everybody's happy and shaking hands there's no nice. money there's always going to be no there is no money yeah that's yeah that's there, true there is no money because there's a comment later in the book about the buck stops here and i don't know what a buck is but I'm, i know it stops with me <laughs> um oh i made a reference to that yeah okay but uh we'll get there we'll get um there. But it, I, I just think it's very real. It's a very realistic. It's not, you know, every. It's not dystopian in the effect where, you know, a, you know, people are lying and cheating, and everybody's horrible, but they're pretending to be good. It's right. just people are people. Right. Right. Well. <laughs> there you go. Um, I like kind of the mysterious things that are thrown out here. We never learn about what happened here, but Rama has this big, like, dull splatter on the side, like some sort of alien bug splatter. 
planted yes, it. Yes, something hit it, yeah. But that's what changed, you know, the, the, how they caught the it. brightness, right? That's how mm-hmm. they caught that it was rotating so fast. They sent out this probe, and they find out, according to the mass, it's way too light. This thing must be hollow. Mm-hmm. And then, by the way, you know, Rendezvous Chapter 4, as we move into that, the thing is a perfect cylinder. Yeah. Right. I yeah. want to point out, I like the fact that when they find out that it's hollow and all that stuff, that Professor Davidson, as we'll talk about him more, he's proven wrong. And he gets yep. proven wrong a lot throughout this book. <laughs> of, I thought this. You're wrong. And he gets grumpier and grumpier as time goes on. I just like that he just keeps getting proven wrong. I, I do like that as I well. don't feel bad for him. No. At all. No, no, he's, no, he's, no. They're, they're all kind of no. pompous. Yeah, because they're, like they're in charge. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And they're Ch- yeah. Chapter four, rendezvous. I do I I like this because of the realism that Clark puts into this is real space. We have to divert, you know, shuttles and ships can only travel so fast. Not just everybody can make it to Rama. In fact, yeah. we only have one ship that can make it there, right? And that is the Endeavor. But um, they have to steal from three other ships just so they can even go there. Right. Yeah, they, yeah. yeah, they had to leave three ships adrift in space in order for them to have enough fuel to get there after they went out and siphoned the gas tank. Right. And are we ever given, because I don't, I, don't, I don't think we are, or I missed it. Are we ever given how many crewmen are on there? Because... Crew members just keep popping up. I don't know how big this crew is. There's a crew. That's all I yeah, know. Yeah. yeah, there's no numbers. I don't really know what the ship looks like, but I guess that's not important. No, I don't right? feel like the it's important. The beer can's important. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, in your mind, you can create whatever the ship looks like. Endeavor can look like anything. Not the space shuttle, I guess. Uh, not Captain Cook's ship. Um, but, yeah. yeah. It's, it's anything you want it to be with however many people you want it to be. It could be a huge crew. Or you could have a few smaller. You could probably figure it out if we wanted to really nope. get into the minutia. Because uh, nope, they I do don't. talk about, he does talk about sending crews of three. And I don't remember how many crews. Yeah, if, there's if always, says, there's, there's, there's like, well, there's always, once we get to Rama, there's always like nine to 15 people inside. Yeah. 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 Right. So but I, never, I, would, I would envision somewhere probably in the 20s. 20 that's what, 30, I, that's yeah, what yeah. I envisioned as well. Yeah, but, you know, but it's, it's set up like, you know, like any ship would be. Right. Um, you know, even going, you know, even going back to Star Trek or even like a Navy ship or anything like that, you know, you have your captain, you have your, you have your first mate, you have the, you have, you have the young bright ensign. You have the medical officer. You have the medical you officer have. and you have the communications guy who is very, uh, I, I, I get a kick out of the fact that they make the, the communications guy religious. Yeah. 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 He's part of the Cosmo Chrysler's. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to him. Um, but Rendezvous, Chapter 4, uh, Commander Bill Norton. Um, hey, and- Bill, I know you're out there uh, doing some uh, stuff, but uh, we need you to go. And he's he's not really an, exp- they're not really an exploratory team. They're no. just like a mining no. vessel. No. Yep. <laughs> Which, uh, again, if this were a movie, this would, I think, have that alien feel, right, of where it's just a bunch of ordinary truckers in space yeah. that are showing up. And I like this because Bill Norton, when even when he lands, he doesn't know what to say. Say. Yeah. So he just is kind of like, uh, yeah, Houston or whatever. Rama, Rama base, base. The endeavor has landed, and that's it. Yep. <laughs> it's he, simple. I he like even that. says to himself, "I wish I could have thought of something better." Yeah. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's sitting there to. going, "Huh? Crap." Well, people <laughs> are listening all over the all over the solar system. <laughs> My whatever. big moment. That's hey, all I got. Uh, yep. We're here. Yep. Yeah. I will say I do love the name of the ship. I have to talk about that. Uh, yeah. Just because of one Ernie, of the only shuttles that didn't blow up. Well, also Ernest Shackleton. Uh, have you, if you've ever oh. read Ernest, uh, the book, I have not uh, about Ernest Shackleton and his wonderful adventure slash terrible, terrible adventure. <laughs> uh, 
Shackleton's Adventure, I think it is. Great book. He encounters Frankenstein, but... right? <laughs> no, not quite. Oh, right. uh, but his ship is the Endeavor. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, that reminds me. That's interesting. That. I didn't know that. I mean, he, we're they, constantly referencing Cook. Yes, here. Cook. And then yeah. I'm guessing that's where Shackleton got his right. got his name from it. But uh, I wouldn't. Endeavor seems like a terrible name for ships, right? I'm going to call right my now. car Endeavor. You're going to need a ahead. new car. <laughs> Give it a month, you'll probably need a new car. Yeah. The Endeavor. And, <laughs> but the nice thing now, we're time-bound. They only have three weeks that they can explore yes. before it's going to be past the point of no return. Right. But before you're trapped and wherever yes. Rama's going, you're right. going with it. Which, yes. again, I like this. This mm-hmm. is real science. They're going to get trapped here. You know, you can't just whisk like the Starship Enterprise anywhere you want willy-nilly. Well, and it, and it gives that it gives that aspect of urgency to the, yes. entire, to, it, to the scientific description. Oh yeah, it's like sure. okay, absolutely. Oh wow, they have to go over this, and then there's this over here. But it it, it definitely gives that sense of urgency when mm-hmm. they have to get off this thing, or they live there now. Yep, the clock has been put on the wall. Mm-hmm. Fantastic, it is now ticking. I, yeah. I, I love this. Chapter um, five. So they land close, and there's these three pillboxes that kind of like hold the ship in place. Like there's these weird things. Yeah, because they're trying yeah, to figure protrusions. out how they're going to land because the thing's spinning, and right. they so don't they land get, at they, the axis. Yeah, so they don't, and they, but they don't want to get bounced off into space because right. it's so. It, there's nowhere for right them to, like, where the land little on. tab on a beer can would be. It's yes. very convenient that they, that was there. Just, you know, just in case of someone landing, and they even talk about that of, well, this probably is the landing pad. Yeah. Here's all these things. And this is chapter five, which we did for the stinger there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we've got Mercer and Norton yep. walking around, tooling around. First EVA. First EVA. Yep. And they find this wheel sitting there. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I found it just hilarious <laughs> as we were reading, as we were going through this recording yep. it of, okay. Well, maybe it turns different than on Earth. Yeah, on Earth, things can turn different directions, too. <laughs> like, <coughs> well, no, no, maybe, we, maybe we should try the other way. Well, really, no. no, sh- no, no <laughs> sorry, right. I don't care about this the is, this is in there. This is Clark. This is Clark. I, I firmly believe this is Clark. This is a joke <sighs> from Clark. Yes. It had to be. It's the yeah. idea of the righty-tighty-lefty-loosey. Yep. yep. It, yeah. It's only that. Oh, yeah. It's only that way because that's the way the threads are made. Yeah, yeah. You, you it, don't. You don't. If you made why the would thre- an intergalactic civilization know anything about righty tighty yeah. lefty loosey? Yes. No. <laughs> but for me, it was just like, yeah, well, but, well played, guys. It, just try it the other way. Well, and you do get you do get that moment of the two guys briefing on this thing. Well, let's try the other way, and, as, and there's no resistance. <laughs> yeah. Maybe at all it's when more meta the than way. that. Maybe it it's uh, Clark saying that. He screws differently than everyone. <laughs> that it's not differently, though. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. Ju- it's just... Okay. Anyway, <laughs> they, anyway, they get Expound. it open. It's fine. And we go to Chapter 6, Committee. And, of course, you have these guys out in space, but someone else has to tell them what to I do. I love this. How I love this. <laughs> how mad it made yes. me. Yes. How, how annoying would this be to be sitting there and have to wait 10 minutes for your orders? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Do yeah. I go? Do I go inside? Because again, this is real science. Yep. So there's yeah. travel yes. time. Which I makes love sense. it. Yeah. Yeah. I did like how they gave him some leeway, though. Of you know, go as far as you yeah. think you can. You know, without right. putting yourself or others in harm. So that that at least gave him so he didn't have to sit there mm-hmm. for every little thing ten right. minutes. Yeah. We so, give a, we get a good download here on Captain Nor- Cam- Commander Norton and who he is. I also like kind of the little tidbits. There's little crumbs that he peppers in about what the future 
is like. And he talks about mm-hmm. holographic projections. Uh, weirdly, that I don't know why this is thrown in, but that the Mediterranean has been drained and they did discovery, like they discovered civilization Different stuff. Things. I actually find this, I actually I find that cool. very interesting. Cool yeah. And, but also kind of that idea too of, well, human beings are still messing with the environment so they can do stuff. And right. why, why and was it that, drained? It was drained because somebody wanted to go look for artifacts. Right. Yeah. Not because it needed to be drained. Right. Not because any you you took a whole sea away because you had a couple guys who wanted to go dust stuff off with paintbrushes. <laughs> hey, we were bored. We needed something to do. Well, and we're jacking with everything. Uh, we have to get the population down to like a one billion. Yeah, they brought actual yeah. population control in, which you look at us currently. Which I got to ask. So how did they? My guess is after the meteorites. Yeah. That it was after that that the population dwindled because I mean we're sitting at seven billion now. Does that mean like what happened with yep. all the fallouts? Most of the population would have died. to be, be killed. Or well, first, off, are... first off, a lot of people died, and maybe it became. And this is this is where my weird ass brain goes. Right. That all of a sudden it becomes like you know a, a, the, the like next generation of kids. It's like. Like the anti-vaxxers or like the uh, anything else, it just becomes yeah. like, okay, well, this is kid number three. You get the sterility vaccine, right? No, yeah. I, I I definitely think that there's a eugenics thing here. I'm seeing yes. this more and more as a dystopia where I mean, yeah, we have to get people down to uh, you know under one billion, and we're going to do that through draconian means. You can't make babies whenever you want. You got to get a you got to get a permit right. a permit to you do get it. married. You, you, bigamy is fine. But yeah. you can't have a kid whenever you want. Yeah, yeah. we'll collect your semen at 18, then we're going to sterilize you, and then you just ask for a permit, and we're only going to let a few people through until we get this population down to a billion. I'm seeing kind of a dystopia in some ways. Depending, See, I, guess, I saw that, but also in the fact that they're colonizing all these different planets. How big of colonial groups are they sending out? Yeah. yeah. What? Because we're at how many years past when they first started Space Guard? Well, and there how are, many are yeah. out on... Hang on. How many are on Earth? How many are on Mercury? How many are on Mars? I don't remember. How many I should have wrote Jupiter's down moons. How many are? On I should have wrote further... down the moon. I thought the moon was spots. was only in the millions. I don't. Yeah. I don't remember the. But numbers, the moon is the second else? one. Mercury is Mercury and Mars were third behind that. And there's generations on Mercury that... because they can't come back. Yeah, because you can't come back after living on Mercury because right. of the gravitational. And change. we should we should talk about it. Mercury. Obviously, do you think I took it as being an analog for Russia? I definitely saw Mercury yeah. as yep. Russia. Yeah. Yeah. 1973, oh yeah. yeah. They're the ones who even send the missile against mm. Rama. Oh, as we'll talk about later. Later, <laughs> right? Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, they, but they got lots of minerals. Yeah, exactly. They're very technological. Chapter 7, uh, Norton has two wives. Uh, they know about it, but since they're on different planets, it's okay. They <laughs> got a kick out of him sending they, duplicate messages I do back too. and forth. They, yeah, he keeps sending the same message. Oh, hey, hon. Um, yeah, so uh, we got a new assignment today, and uh, tell the kids I love them, and I will, I love you too, and I'll talk to you later. Yeah, and he, he just sends that same message to both he, women. He purposely what did I send to this one, them? though, that I didn't send to this one. Computer, play that back. He purposely send tailors this. them to be like middle of the row. Like, you yeah. can't tell. Yeah. They're just yeah. oatmeal that are He, going he makes sure not to say anything, and he always saves a little bit of time to add in that personal touch yes. at the end. Right. Yeah. Where it's just like, okay, I'll, then at the end, I'll throw this in. Well, the other one won't hear it. It'll be perfect. And later on, he even makes a mistake because he's like, well, you've met my lieutenant. Ooh, wait. I don't remember which one met the lieutenant. Uh, <laughs> Scratch that I got to go back and edit that. Yeah, but that's what you even, even said. The one's from Mars, right? Yep. And the one wife he knows will never meet the other one because Mars has lower gravity yep. and she hates going to Earth where the gravity's heavier. Yeah, <laughs> she can't do it. So. Yeah, and, and, the and, the, and the other one And the other one doesn't like to travel. And the other one doesn't like to travel. 
It's yes. perfect. Yeah. He's <laughs> set. He is set. <laughs> but during these talks, he's talking about how everything is set up in threes, and three will keep yes. coming back and back and multiple times. Right. And they've gone through lock number one, lock number two, two. and conveniently they're outside lock number three, and they bring up this great comparison to Egypt I love with this. the tombs and all that. And Howard, yeah, Howard Carter. I like this. And when Howard Carter broke into King Tut's tomb, right, setting off King Tut's curse. Yep. Right? Yeah. So, again, uh, foreshadowing or at least putting the thought in our mind uh, that Rama is nefarious. And, again, if you're reading this in 73, Cold War, most science fiction was, you know, a lot of it was uh, being attacked by the aliens and everything. I like that for a long time here, Rama could be a dangerous implement or a well, weapon of some sort. And you think about, you think about, again, 1973, you think about the time period. You think yep. about, you know, in school we're still, you know, we're still doing... Drills of when the Russians attack. Yes. What to do, what to do when the Russians launch the bomb against us? Duck and cover. <laughs> duck and cover. You want to see a great video? Go Google duck and cover turtle, <laughs> and you will get a great, great civil defense drill. Be, 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 be careful about your typing, though, because <laughs> the D and the F are very close together on the keyboard. <laughs> You made this mistake at some point, didn't you, Clark? I didn't say it was a mistake. Yeah, oh, okay. turtle laughter. Who knows? <laughs> oh. So, but no, but it is that time period, and it is, yep. and there are people who are seeing things, and even some, you know, Bob, you're the you're the UFO guy. Oh yeah, that was the explanation for a lot of UFO that people wanted to believe for yep. a time period, especially yet? in the seventies. I try every night. Okay, I, I just had to we make sure. We talked about this, <laughs> especially in the seventies, where. You know, ooh, was that a UFO or is that a Russian spy? Right, right. Well, just stop worrying and learn to love the bomb and you'll be fine. Oh, great ooh. one. Watch <laughs> that in high strange school. Love. You watched that in high school? It was a high school class. Awesome. We actually watched it. That's Shout awesome. out, Mr. Miller. Oh, that's pretty cool. Hmm. Not that you're listening. <laughs> you should call him. We'd get one more listener. One more. Um, and you're all important to us. So chapter eight through the hub. So meanwhile, back in chapter eight, uh, Norton uses a flare to light up the inside of Rama. Uh, I always loved this. When I was a kid reading this, we get a scope of and again of the awe of it pure all. science. Yep, yep, pure science on what would happen if you threw a flare into a into a hole this large. Right, mm-hmm. right. And I'm I'm just on the edge of my seat. Like there, uh, Clark has caught me up with the grandeur of all of this. The, these first eight chapters not for us, but for the book, are brief and speedy, yes. right? So, like, I mean, you're only 30 pages in, and you're already inside Rama looking at everything, and I am find myself breathless uh, the first read-through, wondering what yeah. what's in here. Yeah, what is he, here? And he really, he really uh, builds here, and he really builds nicely as to how really a true dark space is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And you, so you really get the feeling of how how. So now you're not only in dark space, but now you're inside. Now you're inside a beer can. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> Sorry, it's not, not wrong. Now, now you're inside a silver bullet. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and how dark it would be, because dark inside dark inside dark. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You're just well, throwing these flares. And here, I, is this where they started talking about the psychological aspects of what's going to happen when people start going? Yeah, down? are they yeah. going to? Yeah, I, I somewhere it around here. here it's somewhere yeah. in this area where it's I, well what's gonna happen to it. the ones who can't see and they start thinking of all this but then there's the gravity effects am I up am I down am I left am that's I right that's coming in the next two chapters mm-hmm. but for sure yeah so yeah. we we first do a reconnaissance of the place and here we get a complete description what we can see where they come out at there are three ladders right mm-hmm. uh, equidistant from each other 
right, that go around. Um, there's a central plane, right? The entire inside of Rama is the central plane. There's in this cylindrical sea is what they're going to start calling it. Well, and yep. they and they even you know in, they even refer to it as they're going into there of well what well what are we looking at? Um, okay, we're inside a beer can, but there's a plane. I don't really understand. I don't really have any better word for what this is, right? Because of its vastness and because of the mm -hmm. way it's set up, it's a plane of metal. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, and they don't even yeah. The cylindrical sea, they're not sure that it's water. In fact, we won't learn until later that's water. But that's what they they're thinking. Calling it just sea for the moment, right? It reminds I, them of it. I yeah. like how they do this because it helps the reader put something in their mind as well right. as to what they could see. It's not just kind of a brief explanation. It's it relates it to things that most readers have seen, can mm -hmm. relate to cities, New York, etc. All of those things. I thought you that was a really good idea. Calling the six cities actual, yeah. actual cities. Names. It also yes. helps us as readers very quickly acclimatize to this very alien environment. Yes. Well, and I think this is very smart by Clark, too, as an author, to help sell books. Oh yeah, you absolutely. Know, you get. Oh hey, I'm. I've been to New York. I've been to Paris. <laughs> yeah. I've been to London. You know, all of. I haven't actually been to New York or Paris, but um, <laughs> I've been to London. Um, but you know, neither have I. You. <laughs> it gives it that real feel, and depending on whether you're reading this too, in English, or you're yeah. reading it in French, or yeah. you're reading it in mm, um, right. Japanese or whatever whatever the book is being translated into it really helps to kind of unify that unify us as earthlings right and sell books I, yeah because I you can, everybody can identify with these places yep I, I agree with that we also say in the middle isn't it in the middle of the cylindrical sea is old Manhattan is that old world or is that uh, New York is on the other side yeah. Of it. Yeah. 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 yeah yeah because the skyline looks like the Manhattan skyline yeah. and all that kind of stuff I, yeah. I like this we get a brief discussion of this maybe being a space arc which is a, a idea by J.D. Bernal right uh, according to the book um, well and that's where I'm kind of wondering too they've been in here this long and like during the stinger are alarms going off that we haven't heard yet? Yeah. Is something going to pop out? Are they alone? Yeah. Um, if you're, Where are they? And if you're in space, if you're in space and somebody opens the door, no. you're yeah. going to go figure out what the heck's going on yeah. after somebody opened the <laughs> door. Coming yeah. in right. here. Who is in here? You would think. You would yeah. think. You would they think. didn't even knock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, but yeah, I do like I I like this idea. Again, we're in hard sci-fi territory here. We don't have warp drives. We don't have the ability yep. to get between star systems fast. This thing is moving at a normal speed, you know, under the speed of light. And so the idea here that this is something that would be a large generational spaceship is very cool. This will be explored ad nauseum in the next two books. Yes. Just so yeah. You know. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So chapter ten. Descent into darkness. Ooh, this is I, where that. This fear. is where the yes. psycholo psychology gets in there. But anyway, Ellie Co. Oh, yeah. take, no, you're no, gonna, go where, ahead. Where's, I'm probably going to go past where you're at. Okay, so where it. the psychology goes, and we get to that explanation of you know everybody's got to really gear up and everybody's got to really set their minds to understand what's going on. Where is up? Where is down? Where, what, you know what's right, what's left, directional. This is deep dive stuff. Yeah, this mm -hmm. is this is like you talked you talked about the scuba diving thing. This is immediately mm -hmm. what I thought of. The right. scene was immediately what I thought of because that's stuff when you're scuba diving and you're down far enough. There have been many people who've died right. because they've confused up and down. Yeah, mm -hmm. and get the yeah. bends as it's, they come yeah. up too fast. It, it's one of those where I like how it's in the mind of Norton though. 
Yes. All of it is him discussing it with himself, yes. sitting there going, I have to remember to do this so I don't go insane. Yes. Right. And, you, it, and I think Clark does that really well by having it not be him ta- or not be somebody else talking, not giving exposition by yeah. talking, right. but the exposition that we really need here is we, we spend so much time inside Norton's head. Right. Yep. Which I think is really cool. I, yeah, I I agree. And in a lot of ways, I think that it is good that we don't learn a lot about Norton because I will counter the argument that there is not a lot of character development in this book because that's not what's important in this book. Correct. He mm-hmm. is placing you, the reader, in you are Norton. Yeah. Like when I read this book as a kid, I became Norton and I was exploring Rama. I didn't care about character development because the character was me. Yeah. I had become part you're of another, space. You're another member of the crew. Yeah, I'm another mm. member of the crew and I'm exploring Rama. And I I was so awestruck with Rama itself. I didn't care about any relationships between people, which... I guess correct because that's what the focus is supposed to. Yeah, be. the focus get, is supposed to be. When Rama. I talk about we, Rama two and Garden of Rama, that to me is the failing point of those books. Is it's all relationships yeah. between people. Yeah, and that's it's boring. It, that's what I heard. <laughs> you look at. But that's kind of the idea too. Is you look at something like which would have come out before this, something like Star Trek, right? Something like Star Trek is about the people. Star Trek is about the... You get a little of, of the science and pseudoscience thrown in there. Right. Uh, but it's all about the relationships between the different species. Right. Yeah. That Because that's the focus point. That's yep. where Roddenberry wanted the focus point to be. Clark wants the focus point to be When did Star arc. Trek come out? 60s. Yep. Late yeah. 60s. 68. Holy cow. Was yeah. It? All right. So Rob- he's screaming out there, but I think it's 68. I'm sorry, sorry fans. no internet, can't look. <laughs> 60, I thought it was 66. Clark, but Clark wants his focus to be on Rama. Yeah. He wants it to be on space, space itself, first off, and then this weird beer can that's hurtling through space at us. Right. He doesn't want you to get caught up with those people. He we, wants you to yeah. be focused we on get, what is this thing and what is going on. We do get a small little bit of character development here well, with this yeah. next chapter talking about Norton and the medical director, I think it is, whoa, right? Whoa, yeah. Hold on a second here. So I'm first sorry, up, on, what I want to... Yeah, what do you... I, I just have to do... Uh, you can, no, go, you you can go, go in a minute. Okay. I just have to do this because it's, it, it's killing me every time. Norton! <laughs> <laughs> That's killing you. That's good. <laughs> now, what's killing me, we're in chapter 10, Descent into Darkness, yep. and this is going to be proof of how little we've really talked about character development. Yeah. All three of you have been talking about Norton throughout this whole chapter. Yeah, yeah. This chapter isn't about Norton. No. You're right. Norton's no. in one it's paragraph. About and that's it. It's, about it's about Mercer. It's about Mercer. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And we're right. so focused on Norton that right. we didn't even realize that it's not his chapter. Yeah. No, it's not. It is Mercer. But this is Mercer, Calvert, which I like yeah. these two because they share a wife. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's a weird there's love. Re- there's they share tri- each other, too. They share each other. They share <laughs> a wife. The wife has had a child by both of them. <laughs> It's a love triangle. It's yeah. a. It's almost a perfect love triangle. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's working but out. This because they're where, buddies. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, kudos cu- to the cu- kudos, yeah. to, kudos to Clark for just yeah. Yeah, this is the thing. Hey, it happens. This is just it's what happens. happens. <laughs> this is just yeah. it's this sexual, sister husband. Sexuality does not <laughs> sexual sexuality does not have to be this binary concept. Right. Well, and I think it's just showing in a future a future world that it, it's basically just whatever. 
you know, and like, we're, but in we're, the in the 70s, it definitely was not whatever right? as far as like, but he is po- writing this opinion. at the end of the uh, you know, 60s sexual revolution, so right. he's probably you know, living in, in a flat in London with a bunch of sci fi writers, he's just sitting around going, So, what if you just love whoever you want to love, and it's just two men and one woman? So now he's babies. Austin Powers, too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he is British. <laughs> yeah. The whole British people are Austin. Anyway. They're but, all Austin. But now. it's also a shot into Norton's mindset, though, of him knowing, even though I want to go and do all this, I can't because I'm the captain. I have to stay with the ship. So I'm going to send Mercer, who's apparently the best life support leader in the whole world. Yes. Yeah. Can yeah. cut his breath yeah, down his to shtick. only needing one for 10 minutes. Yep. Awesome. Can cut his pulse by 50% just... Like that, something Jeez. he must have learned by visiting India, <laughs> or or some like, especially with Mercer and um, Calvert and Willard are the three right now. Yeah, as reference Mercer for and him. Calvert and Willard. It's everybody's so different on this shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. You don't. We really don't. You're not. We're not diving into them, and we're not getting deve- You know, huge development on them. But there's no red shirts, right? You yeah. know, no, there, there isn't. There's no crewman number four that we yeah. don't. Uh, granted, we, we, there are groups that we don't meet at all, but anybody we meet is it has a, does have a definite personality. Yep. Oh yeah, for no, sure, I agree. And very, and then, yeah, go ahead. No, sorry. go. And at the end of this whole thing, they've journeyed down, and Mercer just, you know what? We've got enough readings. I think I can breathe. And he just takes his helmet off and oh, actually I know, breathes. I saw, I saw, and it's I like, huh? I still don't think, even if I'm the expert, and I don't know if I trust no. all my equipment. Yeah, I would. That, and the well, other two guys are just like, what? Uh, uh, and he does it. And he does say it smells like faint gunpowder. I don't know what that means. <laughs> metallic. It's, it's got that metallic. Metallic. Dry metallic. metallic. Yeah. Right? Dry, with, dry with a bit of a tag. Uh, you got out shooting on the compound, and which, then not cleaned your gun right away. You waited for like a day. And that's the sense. Then you started cleaning your gun, and it was in the in the sixties. They were drinking a lot of tang on the, on the uh, missions. <laughs> the space. So chapter eleven: men, women, and monkeys. This got a little weird to me. <laughs> this is one of the few chapters um, I didn't like, also. I, I felt... It, it drew, drew things out a little bit. I like the idea of the simps. Yeah. I hated the idea n- of the simps. No, I like the idea of the simps, but not in this book. Correct. Yeah. They, yeah. they felt like they needed to be in a, in a different universe. Where do we get to the wind-up people it's in Rama 2? Um, <laughs> I don't plan on reading Rama 2. Nobody should read Rama 2. Or 3. The uh, simps <laughs> just seemed out of place. Yes. Of, I don't care. Okay, I think it or I expected like, it to go somewhere. Great, they're yes. on the ship. Okay, what are they going to do on the ship? It are they evo- going to mess something up? I think it up evolved so out of one kind of cool idea. But okay, the drop line in here is bizarre. That okay, the simps have a prehensile tail which allows them to move around the ship, and after failed attempts at giving them to humans. So there was like yes. genetic attempts at giving prehensile tails yes. to humans. Yes, there were. Yes, <laughs> to yes. move around the ship. We've decided to go with super smart chimps, the simps that move around. Well, and blacky, blondie, goldie, and brownie. And he's we, particular to goldie. He's particular to goldie. <laughs> no. There was the, that 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 got weird until he, he started talking about being particular to goldie, and I'm like, oh my god, where is this going? And then all of a sudden, you find out that the simps have no genitals. But it's yep. just, but okay, <laughs> where is the morality of this though? Because we know that 
nowadays. What, what do you mean? Where's the morality of genetically engineering and a, a species and then making them the janitors? Yeah, fifteen hours a day they work. <laughs> they're like a slave class working around the ship, and they're like, I don't know how smart these things are, but I, they're semi sentient. Right? <coughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, they they can do sign language. They can't really talk, but they have the sign language. They do have a handler that they that they know. They but, can talk simplish. Yeah. And they can't pass red doors, like doors that are painted red around the outside. Yeah, so not only have we genetically engineered them, we've also psychologically engineered them to be afraid of red doors. Yeah, Yeah. I feel like none of this is will be okay in the future. And the weird drop about the handler dude, (laughs) who he's named, but that's the only time we really talk about him. The I hand- saw him as Malakili from uh, the Rancor Keeper from Return of the Jedi. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, yes, kind of. Um, I gave him a little bit more class than that. Oh, okay, but no, yeah. they, but they make a reference here too of how the handlers eventually become the simp's. About yeah. how, how the handlers are are more like the Andrews are more like the simp's than they are like the regular yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that. I like, just remember them talking about how the handler. Which I, I get it. And yeah. Then, yeah, but as a handler, uh, the handler of the simps, you live with the simps. You so know, I just have this weird picture of this large quarters and with just monkeys going around to, and a guy sitting on the couch think reading to the watching newspaper. Nova and like the people who work with like they, lab rats, they start to look a little radish. <laughs> they do. They, I do like how he, he did talk about how there is still emotions with the handlers where if. <laughs> He did talk about the emotions where if they do have to abandon ship, the simps can't come with. So it that, used to be the animal handler who had to kill them, but the animal handler, last the last time that happened, killed himself <laughs> as well. Yeah. It's a very depressing, like, all right. It's just weird. Yeah, yeah. It It's just weird, and Wrong I don't book. feel it. I don't feel it. Yeah, again, interesting idea. Weird, weird, interesting idea, yeah. but I don't feel it has, the place, it has a place in this book. Oh, we did get a good, uh, good little talk about sex and space. Yes, in this uh-huh. one. that was that was in, that and was interesting. So, to start is, is this where they talk? Talk about, about that, Paul. Yeah, I, I, that's all I had. You guys, G? you guys, yeah. Something they about zero G and what it does zero to the G women's breasts and how the breasts seem to <laughs> flow a different way. And whenever they go through the uh, through the ship's uh, airlocks, airlocks. Uh, it draws the, the crew's attention. Yeah. yeah. Right. Is this it, where they start talking about... Um, uh, is that what happened in Xanth? Xanth is just on <laughs> yeah. a different rotation, so that's why the women's breasts were always bouncing. I think Probably. So. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Uh, let's get into Chapter 12, Stairway of the Gods. They descend to the floor of Rama and a discussion of how the Ramans must breathe air like humans and must be humanoid but just slightly taller, which is true. I mean, it's weird that there is an oxygen-rich atmosphere within mm-hmm. Rama, yeah. right? Just simply made, it seems, for humans. That's weird. Um, and, and reading this and going through this at this point, it gives you that idea of, okay, so... Are we what you know? Is you have all these ideas in your head as you're going through here? Right. Is this what? What are they walking into? Is this um, you know? Are the is this really an alien ship? Right. Is this something that's being because it's too perfect for humans? Is it something for humans that some de- that some other race is sending us um, to get on? As to get on? Yeah, specifically as, like, for us. Lo- and- specifically for us. Or what also pops into my head here too. Is this a ship that's going to supposed to come grab a bunch of people and bring them back somewhere to be a slave race? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> Could be. Yeah. The uh, there is one character in here whose name I can't remember who uh, who does bring it up and say I want to send 
Oh yeah, a message. That's Boris Rodrigo. This is his first chapter too. This is his Good timing. So he brings that up and talks about you know I want to send this message to my church and say hey this might be it we might be jumping on yeah. some yeah. shit the the good book says that so we, we've um, got the the orange catholic bible um, the, orange, the well, fifth church well the it's fifth church of christ yeah, yeah. And the other four? which is very interesting yeah. when we get into that and I, I do do we want to talk about the about the whole uh, pseudo Christianity thing. Well, going let's on talk there. about it because it. the Fifth Church it. of Christ. We have. Uh, he's also a cosmonaut. He believes that Jesus was a visitor from space. Uh, weird. And, and somewhere in the somewhere in the book, it states that the ark that uh, the space ark will come for people. When yes. it, when it is yep. time for the earth, it's like the to, second coming. Yeah, when it is time for the earth to die, yeah. a space ark will come. Yep. Which I'm actually surprised. Uh, Rodrigo will end up being kind of a hero in this book. I thought mm-hmm. they were setting him up as being. Um, like the guy from the abyss who ends up arming the nukes. Oh. Yes, uh, you I, thought just because his name was Boris, and you thought he was Russian, didn't you? Yeah, this is 1973, <laughs> and he's a I Russian. Know. I know. I think <laughs> I just had to throw it out there. It. That's all. We've talked about it already. I think I Clark's intentionally setting us up that way. Mm-hmm. I think so too. We're dead. He's we're dead. A the, lot of tropes here, yeah, which is good. Yes, we're dead in the heart of the Cold War, and we have a guy named Boris who act, who is very stoic, very you know. Oh, yeah. in the in Russia we practice the Christianity, yeah. and I'm going to be very serious about everything. And I'm very much he doesn't fit robotic. in with the rest of the crew. No, he believes this well, could be the second coming. They they do <laughs> say that they don't. There's a group of them in the entire crew that are part of that church. I don't remember yeah. what it was called again. The Cosmo Christers. The Cosmo Christers. Who <laughs> people people aren't mean to them. They're not mean to other people. It's just sort of everyone coexists. These are Jehovah's Witnesses. No, yeah. no, they're not. Uh, no, they're, they're, they are specifically not because right. they make the drop in here about how one of their tenets is to be non-evangelical. <laughs> oh, that's true. They yeah, do not, not witness to people. Correct. That is one of their tenets is yeah. they, they do not actively work to convert people or to be evan- evangelical in here. Um, which it, is probably, again, 1973 is a, probably a shot against your TV evangelist. Yeah, well, and it should You be, can have a religion that's, sta- that's set up, that's stated, without trying to push it onto other people. Right, okay. and it comes out in a lot of his writings, but uh, Arthur C. Clarke is a, a devout, throughout his entire life, uh, very vocal atheist. He, mm. he, and in fact, very, had very derogatory, many times, things to say about religion, kind of thinking about it. Basically, that opiate of the masses kind of uh, belief system. In fact, when he died, he, he, he said, that, or his request was that no religious anything could be done at his funeral. N- nothing that was at all religious in overtones could be done at his funeral. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but yeah. so Boris comes in here. He's the communications officer, and he's the. Uh, I keep losing the word. What do you keep calling Cosmo Christ? Cosmo Christ. <laughs> That's what I'm going to call. And uh, the CCs. They <laughs> talk. They talk about how the Cosmo Christers, the Cosmo Christers too, are excellent people to have on your crew because they're tho- they are so methodical about everything. It's almost mm-hmm. like painting them as another race. Right. Yeah. And so we set up basically this daisy chain of delivery along this ladder system. We're going to get down to the down to the plane, and then Norton decides, hey, we're going to explore the town Paris, which is eight yeah. kilometers away. So chapter 13, we're going to go across the plane of Rama. We end up with, again, we're going to keep jumping kind of points of view of characters. Mm-hmm. And so we had our Rodrigo chapter. Now we're going to have Joe Calvert, who we've met but haven't delved into. He's going to start whistling Hi-Ho from Snow White, no. which I think is great. Like, imagine the giant 
can of Rama and some guy is whistling hi ho. And do you remember what he goes into after hi ho? I don't know what he goes. He, he can't hit the high note on hi ho, so he starts he starts doing the bridge over the river choir. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he he just goes through movies. Yeah, and that's yeah. the beauty of Clark too is he throws these little you know we're so we get so serious and we get so heavy and now we have this dude just whistling as he's walking. Right. And through. this is so real. And it, it's so what we need here. Yes. Yep. And it's I so agree. whether it's your war movie, whether it's your space movie, it's again that that group of people going through and how everybody's got their kind of individual personality. There is also another drop in here too when they when uh clark is talking about the whistling yeah. that they he uh, he calls it something to the effect of a has a rare forgotten skill of whistling of whistling yeah so evidently most people in the future don't know how I to d- whistle anymore <laughs> i'm gonna dust off the old word i'm not supposed to say anymore but i love the juxtaposition here of uh something so incredibly human with something incredibly alien and yes. that's what that's what really works yeah. is now uh, we have this little band of people setting out across the plain of Rama, and us as a, as readers are invested in in these little these people uh, in this huge expansive alien environment. Um, so on their way, they explore these what they think are irrigation trenches. There's three of them. They run the length of Rama, and they terminate and then continue right before and after the sea. Right? They think it's some sort of transparent ice material. And they try to get some. They yeah, he goes to, down. Yeah. He goes down and tries to tap a piece off, and he can't do it. Yeah, right. So we will find out uh, very quickly what these things are. But chapter fourteen, storm warning. Back to this committee, which yes, this committee the committee. Seems, this uh, you know <laughs> that's what we need is a Senate scene. Yeah, you know what? I don't. <laughs> I, I don't mind these. I don't mind the committee because what these are are usually scientific downloads, yes. so we know what's going on. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not. It's not a. Star Wars Senate scene. It's it. There is needed information. Information we're getting. A, a storm is coming. How are storms developed? Uh, you know, hey, yep. uh, there's a huge that you know Rama's going to change course or do whatever, and how does that affect the people inside? They are Clark's way of giving us the download we need of information. And and again, something very real here. You have oh the important people in a meeting, and the <laughs> the science guy runs in and goes, um, I got to tell you guys something, and they just keep like rolling. Hey, um, uh, this is kind of important. I, I love this because basically Rama is getting close to the sun. It's heating up. He's saying, hey, the outside is going to get really hot. It's going to take a while to get through that shell. We know now how thick Rama is. It's going to start getting warm, like a baked Alaska, they call it inside. Uh, right? Warm just outside, cold disgust. inside. What's that dessert? What's that dessert? <laughs> the, one, the one guy from Earth. Baked Alaska. <laughs> Last time I had baked Alaska, I threw up. <laughs> <laughs> so this is interesting. Storms are going to develop on Rama, which I think is cool, right? That like the water will evaporate and form clouds around the center hub, and well, then yeah, rain it, back down. That's what they think. Which, awesome. Again, and real sciency. When you talk about gravity, you talk about spinning ah. debris. You talk about moisture in the air. You know what is actually going to happen. Yep. So we get uh, to chapter 15, The Edge of the Sea. Laura Ernst, we're introduced to uh, Lo- to her. Uh, Laura Ernst, but one time banged Captain Norton. Command- <laughs> Commander Norton. Yeah, back Pretty in the day. Back in the day. They had a yeah. fling. They had, they had a very brief Literally fling. one. Yeah. It even says once. Uh, yeah, once. <laughs> and they were done, They and they realized they it. They realized it, yeah. Yep. Um, they're... they're Close to the shore of the cylindrical sea, uh, which is weird because there's a 50-meter cliff 
uh, on their side of it. Across on the other side is a 500 meter cliff, and they yes. don't know why there's the difference. No. Right? Yeah, and they're looking for a way down. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I like trying- this. We've, yeah, we've split up into all these different exploratory groups, so we're, you know... And she's a out. character who actually becomes very developed, I think, throughout I think so. Because she's she's like a schoolgirl right now, because instead of just routine ship stuff, she's got, you know, routine ships, Doctor, common space cold. Yeah. She's actually got stuff to do, and she's got a chance to be, to be science-y here, and to be doctory. And she's taking samples from everybody, she's yeah. checking all kinds of things, and so... She, and she, you get the feeling that she is actually enjoying this right and what i love about this is is we're setting up a real alien vibe and i mean alien as in the movie alien um oh. when i'm reading this the first way through i'm getting claustrophobic and thinking oh my god so we know rama is heating up we don't know if it's dangerous or not if it heats up whatever lives in rama might be coming alive we have all these parties split up it's so- and they're in complete darkness still yes. like we're told here that there are spotlights from mm-hmm. the hub that they have to direct where they are so like our team is traveling across this completely dark expansive plane in a circle of spotlight it's mm. super creepy it, it would be and you, and you keep expecting you keep expecting something to come out of the dark yeah. You keep expecting something to come out of the dark. You keep expecting them to be walking along, and then all of a sudden, uh, where's Dave? Yeah, right. <laughs> you uh, uh, yeah. You could easily spin this into some sort of slasher space thriller. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Know? It could just be one of those where all of a sudden the eyes appear. <laughs> yeah. as, as they're walking forward, they reach a cliff and eyes. Yeah. You know, just something For sure. that could be hidden. Um, so they do find a stairway that brings them down to the cylindrical sea and they find out that it is ice. So on to, um, chapter 16. And before 15 ends though, there's a nice little, oh, she felt the breeze. Yeah. Yeah. A little oh, again, there's... a portent of danger, right? Mm-hmm. That, hey, weather is going to be. But no one really but, notices. But, but you don't know. It's no, just kind of. Oh, I think I, there was a breeze. I thought I felt huh. like, No. it's and it's It's all stacked up to know my mind must be playing tricks on me because of the weird environment right and we do get again the committee science download with dr Pereira, who's going to play a bigger role here explaining what will happen to rama as it heats that there'll be heavy trade winds and so then we bounce back into norton at camp alpha some of this is reminding me a little bit of michael crichton where Michael Crichton would do this kind of stuff where he would have some sort of science download. Ian Malcolm like, would sit Ian there and Malcolm. say, this is what's going on, this yep. is why it's going on, this is going on. Now let's go back to and, Dr. Grant so we can have the fun stuff. And the and Velociraptors and would like be released, yeah. yeah. Which, not to, I love Michael Crichton. So, yeah. But, so it was, <laughs> it's with fond memories that he's doing yes. the Michael Crichton stuff. Um, but Norton goes off into the darkness, uh, right, um, because he has a fascination with Captain Cook. He likes to sometimes talk to himself, <laughs> like like he's Captain Cook. Everybody's talk got to Captain. Everyone, got it, yeah. Everyone's got their own way of dealing I with like the it. weirdness and of space. Just just because we haven't come up with the technology yet to build Jarvis doesn't mean you can't have Jarvis in your head. <laughs> we all have that in our head. Yeah. Well, chapter just happens to be Captain Cook. (laughs) Chapter seventeen, spring. Uh, I really like this. The ice breaking up all over the place. In my notes here, you know, the ice cracked very dramatically of all this hurricane stuff, and everyone got away safely. Yeah. Yep. Right there, I'm like, well, there was all that tension, and yeah, I agree. Nobody does die. I felt a little let down with that of. 
Mm-hmm. Well, they've been prepared. They've been told the hurricanes are going to happen. And then, oh, it happened faster than we thought. And you still all made it out. And we're going to kind of get that through this whole book where this is definitely a scientific it's, mission that is in peril, but we never see deadliness. There's no peril. But really. I think that is because the Romans are never supposed to be evil. Like, we are supposed yeah. to see this as a benign well, starship. Wanna, my thing with that is, you know, the ice is getting broken up. Right. That's not the Romans' fault. No, it's not, not at all. So it's not really evil in that sense. It's more no, it's the not. nature is just, I agree. it happens. It's just the design. So I could see the nature easily causing the problems. I do think it's, it's Clark, I think, wants no one to die on this ship. No. Yeah, he, did, well, he and, didn't. And you, no. Yeah. But how cool would it be to walk in the cylindrical sea in zero G, to, or to be in the cylindrical sea in modified, modified G? Yeah. To watch that ice break up. Uh, yeah. Still, yeah, every time you mention cool. I still have, I still have such a hard time wrapping my head around the idea of the cylindrical sea. It's unbelievable. Like when you even think about, like, where do you come up with that? We live in northern Minnesota, and I've heard the ice. All of us have heard the ice break up in springtime, and it, as it cracks, it can make these awesome long groaning sounds. Some of it almost akin to like whales and stuff like that. Yep. Can you imagine that within the complete blackness and darkness of Rama? All these groanings and crackings and stuff i would be losing from, my shit from around was in rama from those. around the entire from from around the entire cylinder so it's yeah. also coming from overhead so you can look up and see it happening and as well and see nothing which we will I'll in a later chapter that. see that when yeah. the waves start happening yes. you can watch them traveling over it's it's mind blowing if if you're with rama mentally and and envisioning it it is an epic Vision in it your head. Yes. It is and pretty this amazing. This is the point where Norton has to start basically running, correct? At the very right. end, he is booking it and then lights. Because they've got to ex- yeah. Because they've got to leave Ron. Yeah, yeah. yeah they gotta, right? they so they're, they're, they're trying to get out of there right, right. now. And the lights come on. Yeah. Which yeah. I have in my notes, chapter Sunrise. 18, Dawn. This is the awe chapter, yeah. right? This is like... Um, you can see everything now. The first day in Eden, right? All of the lights. Those trenches that they thought were for delivering water are actually giant fluorescent lights. And so they all come on, which is cool. Well, they're uh, giant reflectors. Yeah. They're, they're not the lights themselves. Oh, they're giant they? reflectors. From oh, the I sun. thought they were lights. There's I thought the there light. were three different sets of lights, and each one went. Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. I thought lights. But Six. I don't know. But whether they're lights or reflectors, this is pretty cool. Um, Norton is the last one out. He stands at the hub and takes it all in. Um, I like how it's so bright that he can't really look at it. Right. I like how he shifts shifts perspective. And if you're sitting there looking at it, I have been reading this whole book thinking I'm crawling out and below me is a vertical cliff going down to a plane, Mm -hmm. bringing me across with everything arcing up above like a can. All of a sudden, he's like, wait. What if you shift your perspective? Now with the lights on, I can also think of myself, what if I'm like poking my head down through a hole looking down towards the yeah. bottom of the can? Yeah. What if I'm at the bottom looking up? You know, like your perspective can shift and he talks about how weird that is for it to shift continuously and, at and the then same he, time. And then, he kick, and then he does kick to the, to the one perspective like in his head as he's looking through things about, oh my God, I'm at the top and I'm falling down Yeah, I can't fall down. Oh, I can't. Gotta stop yeah. thinking. I can't think yeah. about that. Yeah. I can't think about I that. I'm gonna drive myself insane. This perspective, or yes. I'll go nuts, right? Uh, and I really love that. So, chapter 19, a warning from Mercury. We committee go back time. to the committee. Yeah, some little science lessons. Yeah. Um, we talk about Mercury, which we've kind of talked about the Hermians. Yep. Well, and, right. and, and the Hermians just continually keep getting set up as dicks. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. At first, I did think that of, you know, they're <laughs> set up as a bad guy. But what would you do? I was going to say, if yeah. If your city saw something come by with no communication whatsoever. Yep. What would you do? Would you take yep. it as a possible I, threat I, or I, just... I agree that uh, what I think the strength here, Clark probably wants us to instantly dislike the Hermians, but I think it's maybe yeah. stronger now where you're going, hey, there's this giant cylinder coming in. So far, it has not tried to communicate to us at all. It obviously is from a high technological civilization. This is our only chance to destroy it. So how long yeah. are we going to wait? Until. Until. Mm-hmm. I, I get this. I do get this. You can understand their fear. Yes. I, I understand yeah. it. I definitely understand yeah, it. Yes, but I think Clark wants, Clark wants you to have them come off as xenophobic. Right. Well, and I think Clark is running in the veins of what I was when I was definitely younger, which is, which is the Carl Sagan mode of thought, which is that any civilization that is intelligent enough to travel the stars must, by necessity, have put away all of those uh, phobias in their past otherwise they would have at that point the power to destroy their civilization they must be peaceful yeah. like you know uh, he was always um very much in mm-hmm. the idea that alien races would not be somebody trying to dominate us they they would have to be peaceful because they couldn't exist with such high technology if they were warlike but and i think that's what you're supposed to take as your default that, stance uh, that is what to. you're supposed to take yeah. as your default stance yeah. but i don't care if you're <laughs> i don't care if you're ramen i don't care if you're klingon i don't yeah. care if you're <laughs> right. venusian yep. there's always a that there's always is i agree i 100% agree davidson uh, that is it's still him <laughs> <laughs> um but basically the hermians uh there we we also get this discussion of the space drive right uh yep. so because we fake news, no such thing as a space drive. <laughs> there's these, there's these, it giant, can't be done. Fake news. We will learn later anyway. These giant cones, there's like this giant spike in the middle, like coming out of the bottom of the can with surrounded by six others. Um, and we don't know what they are. We will find out that they are this space drive, and we don't really know how it works because mainly I think. Clark doesn't know how it yeah, works. He, he, yeah, which is great. Doesn't work. They don't know what they're doing, so he Who just kind of puts it in his science fiction. We Done. know that it's a way that the Raman ship uh, well, accelerates. Again, it adds that mystery. If you go, it, it, it continues to add the mystery. I mean, if you if you send them if you send the camera bot down there and it takes pictures of the Honda generator, it's going to ruin everything. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. true. You know? That is true. Um, so we get to chapter twenty, the Book of Revelation. Boris Rodriguez wants to send a message to the Mother Church back home, which is what Rigo. you had talked about. Yep. Oh, did I say it wrong? Rodrigo? Rodrigo. He's not fully Mexican. Uh, <laughs> He's well, Rodrigo. 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 I'm Boris, Boris Rodrigo. That's really weird. It's the spell not... check must have changed it to Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> well, your computer's <laughs> missing some letters on there that don't fully work, so I, who knows? I will maybe, say... your, maybe your computer's racist. <laughs> <laughs> Rodriguez. But oh, here is where Boris is talking about his church. He wants to talk to him and say, hey, this is possibly the second coming of yeah, this is Christ dark. for this is dark. us to get out of here. Once yeah. again, a little bit of character development. Commander Norton goes, "Yeah, we'll we'll sneak it in there somehow." So no, he goes, little... he goes twofold. I'm gonna say, uh, yeah. we'll send uh, we'll send that theory we'll send that theory back to the Raman committee, and we'll all, at the same time we send it to your church because I don't know what the hell's going on here. This yeah. is, very well could be. This, this is, could be the second coming. This of is Christ. prophetic. This is like Heaven's Gate cult before it was Heaven's Gate cult. Like, hey, Bob <laughs> is coming by. We kill ourselves. We get on that mother as it goes by. That's what this that's, guy's are doing. That's basically what it is. It's, it's the There's going Gate to be cult. God is going to send an ark. Yeah, and you're going to get on the and the chosen people will get on the ark, <laughs> just like two by two the animals did. The chosen mm. people will get on the ark and. 
be taken away. Right. And then the earth is going to explode. Pretty much. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> right? So chapter 21, after the storm. Really kind of a throwaway chapter. Yeah. Rama's evolving. The original people go past clouds now because there's cloud cover. Yeah. yeah. It's and just we have pretty, this cor- Coriolis well, it, effect stuff. And, and yeah, and it is, but it is su- written super spooky as they're going oh, yeah. through the yeah. clouds because they can't see in front of them. Yeah. And so they're floating down. They're, they don't know what they're floating into. Because we got this shaft of clouds now that's going down the center of Rama, and that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, chapter 22, to sail the cylindrical sea. So they've made a raft, which is exactly what I'd want to do. We're gonna, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're going to need a boat. <laughs> and conveniently, you, there's someone who sailed before on the ship. You well, always yeah. need a boat, and you always just. Need <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Is no, this she, Ruby Barnes? Is it Ruby Barnes who sailed before? She. Well, we we have the woman who's who, who's like competitively sailed before. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. If if you were on a spaceship, wouldn't you have wanted to do the tra- the travel before spaceships happened? Things like that. Yeah. I would. I mean, just like flight. I feel like pilots also might like to sail. Well, and Clark right. with his scuba diving. Yeah. Spent yeah. a lot. Spent a lot of time on the sea, so he right. throws a mariner in. Here. Right. Yep. And we get to New York, and we have a, this t- talk about, especially here, it's highlighted the triple redundancy of the Romans, right? Like that they do everything in mm-hmm. three, and they get to New York, and everything seems to be in threes. And so we really highlight this whole three thing. But they're out on the ocean. They also find that there's these weird microorganisms in the water that seem to have no nucleus. They're very, you know, and they're alien. breaking down. Yeah, they falling s- apart. They yeah. talk about ne- don't. Put your face in the water. Don't drink it if you fall in. Right. Don't breathe. Try to... I really do feel it. like that doesn't need to be said. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah. it, don't drink the water. Hey, we're on an alien world. Why don't we drink the water? The one dude does. breathe in the air. <laughs> well, he doesn't do it. He, they, they test. It's one of those where, like, they have to do tests to see. It's just like the way they tested for oxygen. Hey, we have water here. We should at least a little see... You they do. Know. They talk about the metallic tank. <laughs> I, I they're know, like, crazy. Uh, is that poisonous? <laughs> but never. I don't think so. Dumb. Um, so chapter 23, they end up getting to New York, right? Uh, they begin New to York, explore. New York. There's no doors. There's no openings. I don't know. Everything seems to be a giant factory, but they don't know what for. And right. no sound. Nothing's humming. You know, you, fi- you figure being in a spaceship, even in the dead of space, there's sounds of your ship. Yep. I love that they actually call out the ramen noodle bit right here because somebody says like uh is it a factory for making ramens and somebody like laughs no. <laughs> and i'm like and nobody acknowledges who it was like the yeah, noodle it's, it's just quiet <laughs> quiet all around i can't believe we made they it don't this far without a ramen noodle reference i know well we were waiting That's all. <laughs> we knew it was coming in yeah, the yeah 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 but and here, Norton also specifically, they're not using lasers or explosives yeah. to get in anything. I wouldn't either. Who knows what you're still not waking up yet? Yeah. Or who uh, knows what's awake and all of a sudden you're blowing the door off somebody's bedroom? Because still, <laughs> Arthur C. Clarke at any point could turn the Ramans into aliens. Aliens that were going to kill us. Yeah. Right? Machine like, aliens is yeah. their thought right now, though. But for sure. Yeah. For sure. And then coming up, we are coming to a chapter I love. I like all of this stuff uh, because I just, first of all, I love the the naming structure of Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy Pack. Hey, guys, I'm Jimmy Pack. I got this thing. It's a brand new thing. No one's ever done it before. It's called the Dragonfly. So I know it was in the Olympics and I flew Mars and everything like that, but I'll, I, he, let's, listen, I'm not, and I'll get in this Dragonfly. I'll fly all the way to the southern end of this Rama thing. And I'm gonna, I, I can pedal. Look at my... Th- Calves. I'm really big. Wait, really big. I can, how I did you get it on the ship? Uh, 
uh, well, um, uh, how did you come on now? We were allowed two suitcases, and I've only brought this pair of underwear, and that is it. The rest was all the dragonfly, but it's cool, and I will fly you to the southern no, end of Rama. No, he's like, I didn't technically because, yeah, because he's not supposed to have the bike on the no, ship. No, he smuggled it, but on. he didn't tech. He looks at the captain, and the captain's like, Okay, you're not gonna get in trouble. Which can or I? It was how, in did, recreation. how did you get it on the ship? Um, we were allowed to bring a box of recreational materials, so I technically didn't lie. So I gotta ask <laughs> you, what was he gonna do with this thing? Because aren't they a solar survey ship? So they're gonna s- survey the m- the sun, right? Like, when was he gonna pull the dragonfly out? Why did he smuggle? He wanted to make no, it because test it, it because it's an experimental bike that he has tested. Where was he gonna still. test it? Anywhere. He was Dropped just working it. on parts. Yeah. Mercury, maybe? He was just off on the moon, Mercury? I don't know. Who knows? I mean, he's still prepping for the Olympics. He's an athlete. There's got to be R&R when they stop at some planet. Yeah, I suppose. No. Yeah, I, yeah, it must be. He wants to win the gold. Just deal with it. <laughs> hey, okay. Um, US, wait, guys, is I'm, he USA? Earth, guys. Earth, Earth, guys. Earth, guys. Yes. Guys, I'm going to put my bike together. Um, Please don't touch it. Yeah. Well, I love the yeah. description here because this is definitely like one of those ultra light. Uh, I love that it's described as a dragonfly. Gossamer I am, type stuff. I yeah. almost see it as a dragonfly. In my mind, so I see I. it as some sort of weird dragonfly. Yeah. Just yeah. riding a dragonfly. It's yeah. almost like the chapter was named that for a reason. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. And yeah, and we well, get to him. I, I do feel he Clark is light on descriptions, not of Rama. Rama described to death. Not everything else describes so much. Well, and you I have, don't even really know what Norton looks like. Well, and you know what you <laughs> know what this flying bike is from, don't you? No, this is from Da Vinci's sketchbook. Oh, this is the flying this is the flying yes. bike from Leonardo oh, da Vinci's sketchbook okay. that really nobody's cool. figured out how to actually make. I thought it was mm-hmm. back in the seventies. They used to sell these things called weed hoppers, and I thought it was one of those <laughs> things. Look it up. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's Da Vinci's flying bike. Oh, that's that. Like, that's pretty it cool. Can't, now. That nobody's figured out how to use on Earth. Up, but uh, this idea of having it used in zero and light G, then it would work. Listeners, look up Da Vinci's flying bike because I really hope it has that giant wheel. <laughs> it make Jimmy look all the but better anyway, flying around Rama. Twenty four, ching ching, ching ching. <laughs> Hey, I'm coming here. I'm going to check out his spike, eh? There's a big spike here down at the back of Rama. Um, so 24, 25, 26, like all we're saying here, they're all flights. kind of the same. He's testing it out. The only thing I want to bring up as he's going to these cones at the South Pole oh. is he's also bringing sticky grenades along. <laughs> I, I'm just sitting yep. there. I wrote down, sticky grenade, that can't be good. But well, he's using them so he can pull... Is it explosive? It is. When I hear the word grenade, what do you think? Well, I thought it's a sticky bomb. He doesn't call it a sticky grenade. It's a sticky bomb. It's a sticky bomb, but you still think bomb explode. I thought he brought them purposely so that he can throw them and stick them, and it's probably something that they use in the Olympics, like in their races, like they fly around the needle or something. No, no. Throws out a sticky bomb and they lasso around. It's not something for the races. It's something that he designed. It's basically he's got a rope connected to to the sticky bomb so that he can park the bike and leave the bike in zero G. Well, then then it wouldn't be explosive. And then pull himself into the gravity. But calling it a bomb. Yeah, no, I agree. I just think they just took materials that they had and kind of Made them into something they could use. What was well, did you ever call him a spit bomb? <laughs> what was the what was what was the movie where they made where the guy made where they uh, oh it was Saving Private Ryan. Oh okay. When yep, they make a yep. sti- when they make the sticky bomb out of socks and axle grease. Yep. yep. Yeah. And then cool. and then it slaps itself against the tank. Yep. Yeah. And I think it's it's like that, right? Yes. So that's cool. And, and this, this is this is where we get a little bit of a language. Possibly, they don't quite know. The chapter is titled "The Voices Voice of Rama," and you hear the hum. 
Yeah, that, just a hum. That yeah. throb, the hum of Rama. Well, that's because Finally. Rama has been silent this whole time, and now now it's coming alive, and we get this throbbing hum that's starting. How to come creepy from would the it be oh. flying around on a bike around <laughs> these spikes? Nope. I'm and all gone. of a sudden, there's lightning. Then lightning uh, goes off right next to you. The electric alone, alone, yeah. because all the protocol. It's always been three of you are together at all times, mm-hmm. and he's yep. just off on his own, flying through the air. Well, you're not going to put you're, you can't. You're not going to put the good own. doctor on the handlebars of your flying bike. But this know. this is what would sell it to a movie studio, and why they need to get a script is because you got a guy sitting on a bike like the like the Amblin movie logo, right? And he's <laughs> pedaling in front of these gigantic spikes, and lightning is arcing between all of them. His hairs start standing up on his arm, and he's like, I gotta get out of here! And he starts pedaling for all it's worth, and cut chapter. It's it's great. Yeah. That would sell it to a movie studio. And it then would. they'd be like, so, so who's the main character? I don't know, a guy named Norton? <laughs> not the guy on the bike. <laughs> Norton? But no one's this not is there. this is like like we talked about in previous podcasts, you know, Dune got sold to a movie theater because of the worm scene. Yes. You could sell it to you. You could sell it to a movie studio because of this scene. But what, what else are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. It's a but. It, it's a bunch of people we don't really get too emotionally involved with walking around this really interesting place. Yeah, yeah it's up to but. the studio to figure out. Once I've once I've sold it, I don't care anymore. Yeah. No. Why I, are I we agree. all going accents now? Just because Norton got said one. <laughs> Norton. Oh no, I was doing Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy. Jimmy just sounds That's like he's that Jimmy Connor, that Connor just, who just wants to sell a little no, bit. No, I see oh. him as a wide-eyed. Uh, he's just a nervous ball of no, energy. Jimmy, Jimmy is Will Wheaton. Jimmy yes. is Wesley Crusher. Oh, okay. He's yeah. the Wesley Crusher, but of the crew. cooler than yes. Wesley so Crusher. he crashes. Icarus twenty-nine first contact. He wakes up and finally we have something. Crabs. Yeah, we do. Uh oh, we have metal crap. What do you do about that? Uh, lotion. Uh, they make they, they make a yeah. lotion for that. Yeah, and the a whole small comb. the whole far end of Rama is this checkerboard, right? Um, which is really weird, right? But which yeah. yes, it's this checkerboard, but all the squares are different, and all the squares have different things and on weird them. Pipes and, and tubes. There's a flower in them. Whatever. We'll get to it. But yeah, there is a crab beetle taking apart his dragonfly. And well, his dragonfly is wrecked, anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which completely doesn't care about the biological. It's just. Clean. It's 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 a Roomba. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it is. I love how he says that the mouth of the robot is full of like a like a Swiss Army knife, which then he puts the delight of every red-blooded American boy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved my Swiss Army knife I as a loved kid, it. and I I have a Leatherman on my belt right now. But it's little parts like that that endeared this book to me as a child because I was reading this book. This at, could be me. Yeah, when I was like hanging out with my cousins, going like, "Guess what I just got today, boys." Swiss Army knife. <laughs> Check it out. Oh, you guys Swiss Army knife? Like, yeah. that, that's when boys first start comparing sizes because it was like, uh, mine's got like seven implements on it. Yeah, mine's got twelve. Oh, <laughs> like, and that oh. and that one poor and that one poor kid that had like didn't have the actual like name brand Swiss Army knife. He had like the dollar store Swiss Army knife. <laughs> yeah, that you can't get all of the knife parts out of even. <laughs> uh, the worst. Nobody. I once did. dropped my Swiss Army knife in an outhouse. Did you? Did we, you get it? We fished it back out. <laughs> Oh, and then we boiled it. Yep. Yeah, and it was it. Uh, yeah, and then we boiled the Swiss Army knife, and the plastic came off. Yep. So we sent it to Swiss Army. Swiss Army. Sent, Swiss Army put new sides on it and actually sent me the same knife back. And I hate to say I'm one of those because I never had the actual Swiss Army knife. Is <laughs> that the crap? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> you, you always had the Belgians Army knife. <laughs> it's not the Swiss Army knife. It's the the Luxembourg Army knife. <laughs> so Swiss Army metal crab beetle. Yes. Yeah, takes yes. the dragonfly, doesn't care about Jimmy, and just With drops weird it human in human little hands. 
<laughs> yep. And takes it and just chucks it into the sea. Yes. Doesn't care about it because and something else is churning in the water. What the shark? That's because it's a that we don't know about. That's because it's a Roomba. Not, yeah. It's, yeah. He's Wally. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's it's a, a spider. Yeah. It's a spider. Wally is just coming, comes over, cleans up the trash, throws it in the water, and drives and away. And his reference: yeah. first robot, first ramen one beetle. Because right. we will have more. So beetle, crab, whatever. Well, like, isn't it this giant well? Like he throws it down a well, and right, and then he goes down this well, John Dempton's well. Yeah, yeah. Down. There's there's paths down, and there's yeah. like these three. Again, everything's threes, three. and there's these openings, right? Um, there's this green water at the bottom. Tunnels are there. All of this is very mysterious. We don't learn anything about any of this. Nope. nope. Which is cool. Why I do we like need that. To? We, we don't, don't need, need to. to. We, we, don't need we need to talk about flowers. But I was going to say, Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy sees that one flower that he wants to pluck. Let's talk about the flower. Chapter 30. Um, the many fields yes. and one flower. So we have, there's a covering over the fields, and but the covering got damaged at some point here, and so now there's, here's this one flower that has gone through yep. the... the that has gone through the opening and very well described here for anybody who's ever had a garden. Right. Or, you know, you come mm-hmm. to the garden. And there's that this weird, one plant isn't it like within a weird it. lattice of tubes or something yes, like that? Yes. Yeah. You've got to climb through. Well, I couldn't really envision and this. Tubes yeah. and fences, which he gets naked to climb through. I didn't really get this. I don't know why he did that. I don't know why he got naked. I <laughs> It says he strips it's, off he, all of his clothes. Is he Jimmy. supposed to be some sort of man Eve climbing through to the tree of knowledge and picking a fruit? I don't know what's going on. It's Jimmy. He just <laughs> does whatever he wants. He, he felt like he, he could just slide through when he didn't have his pants on. Okay, but this, as a kid, this terrified me not knowing what's coming. Because, oh, I kept expecting something to pop up. Oh, There's fences here. You don't, we, know, you don't, again, farm reference, again, you no. don't go through a fence unless you know what's inside yeah, the fence. Yeah, you don't go into Mr. McGregor's garden and pick his cabbage. And so, like... Ooh, nice reference. Yeah, so he comes in there, he picks the flower head, and the stem retreats like some sort of, like, snake or tube. Like he heard it. Yeah, like he, got, he heard it. He I'm attacked. like, oh, it's on now. Like, yeah. now all of a sudden that benign crab creature or whatever, it's all gonna go south and we're gonna be in some sort of flight for our life. Doesn't happen. If this is Michael Crichton... Well, as soon as, he, as soon as he it's picks not. it too, the flower starts dying. The flower like starts yeah. dying. Yeah, yeah. So chapter thirty-one, terminal velocity. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, Norton and five others go out on the raft resolution to rescue Jimmy. Gotta rescue Jimmy, man. This is weird, man. Jimmy needs to jump. Uh, and so he does this thing where, like, hey, take off your shirt or something, hold it above your head. Just to keep you vertical. Just to keep you vertical because the lower gravity, it won't be as bad hitting the water. We'll get you. I did like this explanation. It gave cool. a reason as to why oh. he lived. Oh, yeah. And, and the fact that if you jump and you're not keeping yourself vertical, you're when you hit that water, it's like hitting a wall. Yeah. If you hit a wall feet first, you've got a chance to go through the sheetrock. Right. If you hit a wall with your entire body, you're probably going to die. Right. What I love about this though is he jumps off this, or he jumps off this 500 foot wall, <laughs> and so then uh, as he's holding this like shirt above his head and he's like caterwauling down and stuff. Well, I'll pause it right there. Okay, we're in. All right. Well, we had to do a quick little break there. If you caught that on the <laughs> editing, because um, uh, Neil had to go rescue a damsel in distress. As, good job, Neil. Atta you know, point. she locked herself out of the house again so with, the, with the key in the house. Oh, so, I, I was just going to say, let's not mention that. We're down to only three, but uh, the ramens do everything. Thing in three. threes. <laughs> there, <you go. laughs> there we go. <laughs> so... Um, Anyway, chapter... But now a cat... Uh, now there's a cat sitting in Neil's chair, so we'll <laughs> see true. how that works. A morbidly obese cat. Uh, so. That cat will bite me if I try to pet it, won't it? Yes, it will. I know. So the horns light up, 
right, uh, of the ship, and that this is that space drive, and it's slightly shifting the ship over. And what I like, all of this is realistic science. This causes a huge shift in the ocean, right, the central yep. sea, and causes this giant wave to start coming around the band of the cylindrical sea. It's coming for them. They've rec- rescued Jimmy. But now the boat's in peril. Yeah. Yes. There's this what constant jumping from one peril to the next peril to the next. And or, I love how the guys in the boat are like, oh, uh, what are we going to do? Uh, what are we going to do? Ah. And good old, our good old mariner back on the rudders are like, I've got, I've got over bigger waves than this. And she, like, fine. surfs it in this, like, <laughs> makeshift boat. Like, a badass. Well, and I like how yes. they explain it. How if, if a ship is out in sea, in the deep sea... It's not going to affect them. It's only right. when the wave is crashing that it's truly going to hurt them. Mm-hmm. Right. And isn't this where we start seeing these walls start yes. coming up from the water or that they're just below the surface that are cutting off the waves so that the Romans had, have figured this out. That and, this, and, yeah, that this was going to happen. And so in order for the wave not to be damaging, that's one of the reasons why the wall is so high at this side, too. The yeah. other reason that it, what I think we skipped over yeah. um, why this wall is so high at the South Pole versus the North Pole is because of the fact of propulsion. Because yep. there's no way to stop the water from moving when right. you're pushing forward. Right. So it would, it would shift everything to the south, so yep. almost like a tide, so it would be much deeper at the right. south end. Right, when Rama is accelerating. Yeah, but yeah, but now these blocks are coming up out of the ocean, and they're like, oh, we don't want to get hit by one of those, let's get moving. <laughs> I like how they right. figure it out. They just drop an anchor, and if it's low, if it's, if it's a sh- quick drop and it stops, they just grab it, go forward, drop. Oh, no, right. it's deep. All right, we're good. Yeah, so they drop the yeah they drop the anchor. It only goes five feet. Uh, let's go. <laughs> they find it. They move on. They found a quick solution to their problem. There is a weird, and I don't, nothing is ever explained about this, but some sort of weird giant wheel thing pops out out of the water. They said it looks like a starfish, um, and then all these robot sharks come and start oh, cutting yeah. it apart. Right? Yep. They start tearing apart whatever I, it was. Okay, so knowing what we know now about Rama, right? Which is after reading the whole book, it's this, still nothing. I still don't know what this is. The solution. Cylindrical Sea is a place where it seems like all refuse and junk is thrown into it to be recycled for... Correct, to break down and... Break down and create something. So why is there still... I guess it was just left from the last... I I think it's a broken piece of machinery. Okay. From the bottom of the sea that all of a sudden... Whatever splatted into the side of the ship earlier on. Yeah, Yeah, it could be that or it could just be... It's all organic material. It could be just something that evolved, formed... And they, the machines found out there is no use for it. Oh, so you, so you took to this to be organic. Yeah, I took it. I took it more as organic because they did talk about all how it's metallic well, yeah. and there's the organic in the ocean. Yeah, well, we so have, you we think maybe di- something we haven't dissected the, the spiders yet. No, not, so, not, but, no, but we find but out they later. Talk about yeah. it in the ocean. Yeah, yeah, they talk about how the how they're single celled organisms. Maybe that's how they evolved. Hmm. So they that's what I came up with was something evolved and. They didn't like it, so they took it apart. They took yeah, it apart. I just took it as a with with everything happening with the cracking, something on the bottom of the sea broke that, off, and yeah. then it fi- some piece of machinery broke off, and then they brought it up, and now the robots are tanking it apart so it could be broken down and Reused. rebuilt or right. yeah. put, recycled. And again, if you're in water that <laughs> breaks down this equipment. <laughs> I don't know. I'd be feeling if I was Jimmy right now. No, I don't know. Hey, he's uh, not in the water anymore. Yeah, at he, least he's, he's on that right. Yeah, but you, you just went swimming in sludge that uh-huh. is made to break stuff down. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I like, wouldn't feel good. At that point, Captain Norton goes, well, we're not going to be on this boat anymore. Let's get rid of this. Right. So chapter 33, though, we meet the spider. Norton, Rodrigo, Calvert, Laura, Ernst, they're sitting around the campfire 
when a volleyball with three legs and whip arms show up. <laughs> and this is where the top... Yeah, Top Gun. Shoot. I'm forgetting what the movie is. Top Gun, uh, Tom Hanks, uh, where the airplane pilots fighting each other, volleyball scene. Oh, that, it's like, that's, it's, that's it's, Top Gun. It is Top Gun? Yeah. Oh, man, I'm ashamed that I forgot about Top <laughs> that's Gun. That's okay. I'll edit it. Tom Cruise. Tom say? Hanks Coming. is not in Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> that would have made, made Top Gun an entirely different movie. Yes, it would have. Yes, it would have. Wilson! Wait, no, that's not your name. Um, Shoot. <laughs> Yeah, that was, that was, uh, now I don't know if I can up. edit any of that. <laughs> no, you don't need to edit any of that. You can just you can just leave that uh, brain slip in. Tom Hanks' fighter pilot name is Woody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but this volleyball just comes whizzing in, flipping end over end quickly, real yeah. quick, quickly because they have spot they have spotters who that's their job. That's what they're supposed to do. Like Lurk even yells at the guy later. He's like, "What were you yeah. doing? I I just I was resting my eyes for a minute." Yeah, well, and Jimmy had seen one earlier, and it's like it basically looks like the Tasmanian Devil, right? Yeah. yeah, like it's just a tornado that kind of whips in. You can barely focus on it, right? But it kind of stops. It has three eyes. It seems to be exploring the camp, and this is where I don't know about. This is obviously a ship that's not a scientific spe- ship because Laura wants a specimen, right? And so they, they're basically just hoping they can dissect this thing. Well, yeah, yeah that's basic human. Yeah, well, science it is. does. That's what science does. True. But I, and again, we have Norton going. You can't kill one. Yeah. yeah, she wants but to kill one. She wants she to just she wants right. to trap one and well, kill it and dissect it. There's like it. hundreds of these things one. all over the ship at some point. But again, I'm still going with the I'm scared of Rama yet, right? Like yeah, if you, you dissect one, what are you thinking? If you, well, Jimmy's picking flowers, <laughs> Laura's killing volleyballs and dissecting them. And how do you know that these aren't like pets or these aren't like you know maybe these are the yeah, Ramas? You go into the yeah. ant colony and you like kill the queen or something. You're cutting it apart. You're just sitting in one of the tubes of the ant colony dissecting an ant. The rest are going to come and start hurting you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's not going to be pretty. I do like how it just has three legs. Though. Yeah. That's all it is. The majority of things here just three legs. Three of So is this a callback to H.G. Wells' every, War of the Worlds? Every, everything is done in three. Yep. So is this H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds where, again, they're the tripods that are attacking. So people who read this book, maybe the only science fiction that they that is super popular, right, is the H.G. Wells. Everybody knows that. Most people know that they're tripodal or tripedal, yeah. right? Well, I, I think this is just supposed to be the idea of everything is done in threes. That's what I think it becomes, but I'm wondering still, is Arthur C. Clarke trying to work still on the danger angle that, you know, subconsciously we'd be going, these are dangerous aliens. They're, well, yeah, they're because tripedal. they're so weird. Yeah. They're weird. They're, they're tripedal. Different. They're, they're, yeah. they're different than us. We're scared of things that are different than yeah. us. Yeah, I, well, it's true. I, I agree. Three legs, that ain't right. <laughs> Four would have been okay, but not three. <laughs> One of the spiders, though, falls off a vertical wall while it's trying to climb, which this shows the fallibility of these things. They're not yep. perfect. And Laura decides, I'm dissecting that one. Let's hey, cut it up. It's injured. It's almost dead. It's mine. Yeah. Back to the committee. <laughs> More science downloads. Um, so we know what Rama is doing. Like, what are they doing? The horns are adjusting the trajectory of Rama so that it can steer closer to the sun. And right? was was the Mercurian uh, people there, or the Hermes, or whatever you call Hermians. them? Hermians. Uh, Hermians. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. they're were, still there. Were at they point. at this meeting? Yes, or not? D- I'm not sure. Yes, I it's the next. Comment. It's the it's the next one. They're not at. Were, okay, I couldn't remember which they one they were they sending skipped. a missile. Well, no, not that one. I'm saying like where they just skipped it. No, yeah, they just skipped the next one. Yeah, they, there's an and everybody just, and, every, and everybody's waiting. 
Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Right. Cool. And then we also get a download on this spider. So it turns out it is organic. Like you said, yep. Paul, it's high in metals, right? It has a brain, well, it's muscles. Me- it's metal organic. Yeah. Me- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's both. It's like this weird yeah. hybrid, right? Yep. No normal parts. Uh, everything else is like, it's like a giant battery. Yeah, uh, she finds these chambers inside that conduct, basically conduct electricity, and right. this thing runs. This thing's a battery, so it's a cool. So it doesn't have like a digest- it, It's like a drone. Yeah, it is. It doesn't have a digestive system. It doesn't have you know really anything. It's it's a reconnaissance drone. So basically, the idea of these things is that they roam all over Rama looking for things that are wrong with the ship or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that just, the crabs can come break them down, throw them into the this ocean. Is just- a ship repairing itself. Right. It is It is an automated system. It's maintenance. That, yeah. yeah. It goes, oh, yeah. Hey, these humans aren't doing anything bad. They're not a broken down part of the ship, so we're I don't, not going to care. I don't, and I don't even know, know if they even recognize it because yeah. well, it, they're looking at these things are built the way I took it. These things are built to be maintenance drones, to fix right. the ship. Everything around us is made of this weird biometallic. Uh, Stuff, yeah. Are the drones even going to recognize? Like, like, are are the humans invisible essentially because they're purely bio, biological? They, yeah. they do talk about. That's it. what I think. No, they do talk about it in the book where the where the spiders were taking some things, but uh, the humans there were te- basically stood in the way and was like, no, no, bad spider, bad. Yeah. And eventually, yeah. the spiders learned, okay, yeah. don't touch the human stuff. Go. But was that a but is that just a basically an electrical impulse that says, okay, this out, okay, I can't do this job? Yeah. I think knowing, I know. what, knowing what we know later from Rama 2 and Garden of Rama, yeah, that definitely is. It's, they are not to hurt biological life forms. Yeah. That this is an automated cleanup system. Every time the ship enters a new star system, it thaws the ship, it goes out of its stasis mode, cleans itself, whatever. But we don't know itself. that in this. We part. don't know that now. Yeah. I, 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 think, get, I, yeah. actually think, I actually think the way this goes, we're better off not. I, 100%. I agree. I think the oh, strength yeah. of rendezvous... Rendezvous with Rama and the reason the sequels don't work is this is the mystery one. Correct. This is the one where we don't know what's going on. Every turn is a new mystery. We have no idea if it's if it's benign, if it's evil. We don't know. Correct. Um, and, that's what and that adds and, and exactly that's what makes it strong and that's what what builds the suspense here. Right. So it's chapter thirty five special delivery. Norton gets a AAA priority message, uh, but we don't know what it is. And I love. And, uh, here's some human interaction. Yes. Here's some human interaction between him and his first mate. And this is totally a military thing. I can see the military doing this a lot. Well, and and you, you but here is the interaction here. Here is the essentially trust and friendship between him between Norton and Norton and his first mate on the ship. Okay. Um, all right, uh, you got my key. Yeah, you got my key. To, you got my key to the. You know where my key is hidden for the. Uh, th- yeah, I know. And first, first Abby goes. We're not recording right now, are we? No, yeah. sir. There's something wrong with the recorder. You <laughs> always, you always check to see if it's always. recording first before you say something that can but incriminate yourself. All these nice drops in here. Nice use of language by Clark here, did really show us the interaction of this. So, um, who's the guy? Uh, uh, the first mate, uh, Peter Rousseau. Peter, I don't know if that's. I don't remember. I don't remember. It, it Next chapter, it doesn't, Peter, it doesn't matter. matter. It's, it's, yeah, it's the first mate. He's, yeah, he's, so yeah. he breaks the code down. Goes, hey, uh, Skipper, I broke the code down. Um, you and and we have the you got to take a look at this. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. uh, okay, tell me what it, what, what's in it. No, you got to take a look at yep. this. I'll messenger it down. I love when it, when it gets me- and then he's like, okay, but just make sure you don't, just make sure you don't leave the ship. Wink, wink. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I love how they send messages in this. Oh yes, it's, and then we get to yeah. the it next. It is one of the best ways to send messages this, down a huge, down a huge. This opening. makes sense. It's There's just, nothing technological about it. No, anything. It's just easy. You make a little parachute and chuck. Done. No, yeah. there's no parachute. No, you just they, they you roll throw it, it down the, the side. That's right. That's right. They, they yeah, roll, they it, roll down it down because the just, gravity rolls it. Down. And I like because yeah, the guy you're talking about, he's gotten real good at it. Like he yeah. he can just the, yeah. The ne- that that's the guy who's on watch because yeah. he's always on watch. Yeah, that's, Peter he's the, he's the yeah he's the sniper in the tower essentially. Yeah, he's he's like, the guy who's stuff. always sitting there. So if I roll it right here, you know, it it goes about twenty degrees off to the left as the rotation of Rama comes around, so I can get it you know within about ten yards or something. I bet you. No, he goes. I bet you I get it within 300 yards. Yeah, <laughs> right. And the dude, the other dude looks at him and is like, that's kind of a long way, isn't it? Should have seen when we started. No, we, the, we, 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 we did we did one that was eight kilometers. <laughs> and then he, so he rolls it down in the old coffee can or whatever. It's yeah. like a cheese whiz can or something. <laughs> he rolls it down in the cheese whiz can and it comes within like 50 feet or yeah. 50 yards of, uh, well, uh, of, where, of the camp of where it's supposed, where it's to, supposed be. to go. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's the most efficient way of doing it. And he goes, I wish you would take the bet. Because <laughs> that was a good throw, if I do say so myself. But so what is And so the message? other guy, and the other guy looks at him and essentially goes, well, I couldn't have bet you because I was never here. And turns around and walks away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I wasn't here. What are you talking yeah, about? This is top secret, by the way. Hey, hey, oh, no, no. That's what it was. It was, hey, and by the way, don't fall asleep at your shift again. Right. Goes, yeah. I wasn't asleep. Yeah, you were, because otherwise you couldn't have dreamed all this. And turns around and walks away. Right. So there's a nuclear missile incoming. The Hermians, uh, this is what the message is about, have launched the Hermians, a missile. Because the planet that is essentially Mustafar <laughs> <laughs> has gotten real good with nukes. Right. They're That's we- how they mine. They're weak physically, but they're tough mentally. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah they got all the metals, and you just blow them up. Yeah. Well, so. I like this, how they're jealous of Earth because they physically can't visit it anymore. So they've always held like a grudge now against mm-hmm. Earth. And those high-minded I, earthlings, they just want to explore Rama. This well, this is, is a danger. This is a danger. This description of the missile, though, I think is weird. Yeah. Because it talks about, like, the ca- the front and aft cameras on the missile. And I'm just thinking, like, 1970s technology <laughs> where there's just, there's just, just like, big the camera. big video camera <laughs> on each end. Oh, man. I get it. You don't have to worry about, you don't have to worry about wind drag or, or no, aerodynamics no, in space. No, you you just have to push it enough. So I just picture, like, you know, like, like the... Uh, Giant NBC like, cameras. Yes. <laughs> like he, like uh, Neil made reference to earlier, you know... Um, Doctor Strange love where I just pictured that <laughs> missile with like two movie cameras on it. <laughs> but this missile is large enough to breach Rama's hull, uh, perhaps send it hurtling into the sun. Maybe. So maybe we don't know. We don't know. It never. It never really happened. We never. We, no we never idea. know if the missile actually could have done anything yeah. to Rama. Or yeah. Not. We don't know what we we no. don't really know what Rama's made of. Not at all. Yeah. It could be some. You know transparent aluminum space-age polymer type deal that would just bounce off of and not do anything. Right. Um, so, jap- chapter 38, the back it to the General Assembly to get kind of one of our last downloads, right? Um, They're waiting for the... Yeah. 
Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, that's good. And it, it, it explains about how they don't believe that most of what they are seeing in terms of these robots, that they're from stasis or suspended animation, they believe that Rama is creating the creatures yeah. as they're needed, yep. right, from that organic soup. The cylindrical sea is basically a factory of ro- or, a, or a storage unit of raw components it feels like correct they get they get pumped into one of the buildings into, into the, the mold into the mold and then yeah. uh, this thing comes and then right. these things come out it's a breeding ground it's just yeah put everything in we'll suck out what we need mm-hmm. yeah i i like this um and again the mercury sees all of this as bad um and, and <laughs> there if if technology can do this what makes you think they're nice yeah yeah <laughs> they're coming to take us away haha ho ho yeah. he he and this, um, this is this is Clark's commentary on cold war politics right? oh, and how definitely. how quick we humans are to mistrust and go to war you know I mean we do have a habit of killing each other yes well and lot. you did yeah. you did make mention earlier buff that what <laughs> Who's saying that they're nice? Yeah. Even I made mention earlier about I had in the back of my head at one point is this a slave ship, right? Yeah, um, and I, I think he's also making kind of a farcical thing. Once we learn what Rama is, that the human race is ready to go. I mean, we're very close here on um, the Cuban Missile Crisis, right in '73. So we're going like. We, uh, all we, we've got is a tin can from an alien species we, we who is coming to, in and performing routine maintenance and kind of going close to the sun. But we're going to freak out. We're ready to freak out, cause wars between ourselves, and destroy the ship. Right? And yeah. <laughs> Well, and there is the technology at one point right now for the human race to destroy itself. For yeah. Mar, you know, for... Mercury to attack Earth from Earth and the Moon and everything else. So they're already butting heads in this, you know, in this idea of who really runs the universe. Right. <laughs> and so, which is what we were doing at the time. The United States and Russia were butting heads on who runs the world, <laughs> right. point, pointing missiles at each other and going, "My missiles are bigger than your missiles." Yep, I have more of them. Well, I okay. Can put them well, okay. I'll build a bigger missile then. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Speaking of which, have you guys heard about that new new that they're building? <laughs> <laughs> uh, chapter 39, Command Decision. So Rodrigo the Cosmic Chryster sees this as all good versus evil. He says, or he thinks he needs to disable this missile, and so he's going to go cut the wires. I do like how he just kind of goes, hey, hey, Captain. Hey, hey Captain. Can, can I go do this? Uh, I... But no, it's not. Go. It's not. It's not even like that because again, he's been set up. This is this is your vault. This is your Mister Spock data character yeah. in this book. But the dude is complete. The Cosmo Chrysler's are completely emotionless. Right. Right. And so they're supposed. They come off as so robotic, and it's just. I have plan. <laughs> he I is will. Russian. That, that is I immediately the voice have, that comes in mind. I have mind. plan. I will cut the wire. And can you do that? Can you do that? What if they? What if they have a failsafe on it? Very unlikely they have failsafe. Well, it's what if they, they're going to see you? I can do it in five minutes before the transmission makes it back to Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> and I like Clark does these little drops of what we know and kind of the future world where he's like, uh, some president had this statement about the buck stops here. I don't know. It was either Truman or what is he? Perez, which, you know, obviously no President Perez, but it shows in the future we had a President Perez. Uh, it was Truman by the way yes yeah. and this is this is the spot where well i don't know where the buck I the buck stops here i don't know what a buck is but i know it stops here at me right now <laughs> right go which, do it which weirdly truman choosing the the statement by truman truman is the one who made the decision to drop the bomb on japan 
yeah. on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So I don't know what uh, necessarily Clark is trying to stay by say it by that. But again, the I buck- mean, I think it's one of those just little Easter eggs he dropped in for. Well, I think it's readers. it's world I, it's world building. It's, world it, building. It may, it's may, or universe building, I guess at this point. Right. It's making a, it's making this more real to us right. about a possible future. Well, and I think there's an ironic statement being made here, where as a Truman said will, would say, the buck stops here, yet uses a nuclear weapon. Uh, against, I guess you could say, maybe an unknown adversary or an adversary that was being painted as being alien or foreign. Um, and here we have somebody using the same phrase to stop a nuclear missile from destroying an alien Ooh, yeah. civilization. A, I don't know. That's, no, that's I, I, maybe. no, that's good. Yeah. That's, I, I like that read on it. Yeah, we'll say that's true. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with it. Why not? Um, so chapter 40, Saboteur. We're reaching the end. Um, Rodrigo goes out on his scooter. <laughs> I just picture you. See, you had a bomb with two stupid uh, cameras on top. I literally see him in a space outfit on like a weird on scooter. a Vespa, <laughs> like on a Vespa, just scooting out, there. just kind of slowly but surely. The Jetson around. noise coming Some from it. Some sort of ridiculous fifties scooter. You know, space because scooter. it's a scooter, he doesn't need a motorcycle license to to get around. But that's the thing there, is they, so they strip. Well, they and they did make a mention of the fact that they stripped this sucker down. Yeah. So, ju- so it's basically just an engine and a seat. Yeah, right. And <laughs> yeah. then he's on the bomb trying to disarm it as the bomb starts to move, right? Which is Dr. Strangelove. Yes. Oh, very, very yes, much I so. very yes. much see him sitting on the bomb. <laughs> um, I, there's, there's some ten- tension here. He disarms the bomb. Um, uh, both when I read it this time and when I read it as a kid, though, I started to feel antsy at this point. Um, where, uh, I don't know, something wasn't working about the book for me, and I don't know what it was. I started losing my attention span with this bomb stuff, and I don't know, I feel it's the the wonder of Rama, and I wanted to keep exploring Rama. Yes. I know it's all coming to an end. And yep. I'm like, oh crap, here goes all the bomb stuff. Why are we doing this? Yep. We should be doing stuff in Rama. I'm almost at the end of the book. Yep. Why am I out of Rama? Like a scientist or something who has to leave... Uh, leave the island and can't explore it anymore or whatever, I see the writing on as the wall. As long as you're not that one Christian missionary from the internet. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm seeing the writing on the wall and I, I don't want to leave anymore. And so the rest of these chapters are always anticlimactic <coughs> and not fun for me because we are pulling out a Rama and I don't want to pull out a Rama anymore. You know? Yeah, I, it made me wonder though. <laughs> it did make me wonder, will somebody stay behind? Yes. Will one of the completely- Christian Christs, whatever they are, yeah. will Rodriguez say, you know what? I'm just going to stay. You guys go. Rodrigo. Rodrigo. <laughs> Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Ro- Rodriguez. So chapter 41, we have one last trip into Rama. Will they be heroes? Will they be villains? He's writing to his wife about this thing. He doesn't know what he'll be seen as. Um, He's I- writing to his wives. Wives. Plural. <laughs> wives. Plural. A real moment I think about my youngest daughter would ask me this. She's like, no, you can't have a baby biot. <laughs> like, because at this point, Earth knows about them. And he's like, the yeah. biots are cool. You know, everybody wants a biot. And his, yeah. his kid obviously wants a biot. Obviously, both sets of kids want biots. Yeah. Yes. Because uh, he tells them that. Well, he only has one set. I think one wife doesn't have kids because then he's petitioning to get a kid with Well, he makes the statement about, no, you can't have a baby biot, and he sends it out to both families, so yeah. both of them must have kids, Oof. unless his wife wants a biot. Hey. The other wife is like, I either want a baby, or, or- you bring me home a biot. <laughs> <laughs> those are your options. <laughs> You've been at space for months now. If you come back, you better bring me one of those biots. I hear that they, I hear that they clean, and that's all that they do. 
They're really yeah. good cleaners. I just I want one for the house. <laughs> Our house might be bare afterwards because it's not ramen. But. Yeah, we've just been sitting around here with my girlfriends drinking skinny girl wine. <laughs> and it would really put me up in the social standings if I had a baby buyout. <laughs> <laughs> So, chapter 42, Julie, Temple of Julie's Glass. Julie's husband said that they're getting one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the companies is making them already. Um, but I want a real one. I want so, a real one. Don't give me one of those knockoffs. I, can't, I want a knockoff. The look on Jenny Menken's face. If I walk through the door at her soiree with a real baby buyout. <laughs> In a bag. (laughs) (laughs) This little spider thing in a bag. (laughs) Just tentacles hanging out the side. (laughs) Look what I brought, everybody. It's my biot. It has some sort of virus. They all die. I don't know. Um, He's named Gucci. Uh, (laughs) I named him Gucci. Uh, So, uh, chapter 42, Temple of Glass. This is the last little bit of information we'll ever get about Rama. And this is what you'd already talked about at Club, where they go and they decide, hey, we're leaving. Screw it. We're going to cut into one of these buildings. Mm -hmm. We'll find out what's inside. There's all these weird, like, tubes. uh, And very cool. I I was seeing it looking like um, from Superman. It was uh, the Hall of um, Justice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. From Superman. It's just like a bunch of pillars of crystal <laughs> yeah and then weird and weird little hologram blueprints of different right biobots so basically he didn't know where storage was gonna go but i guess the ramens like you know can't keep things on a small microchip they're all in these giant data pillars Big well pillars. again 1973 it's still cool visually it's it very is cool. it oh, is yeah. it's visually cool and visually confusing which and is what it's supposed to be yeah, exactly do, we do, an alien yeah we do alien. get a hint as to what we might think the ramens would look like they say yes. they find a uniform and there's kind of an image in one of those crystals i think yep. of what it what they might look like right um so they find those ramen spacesuits maybe we'll never know according to this book right and then the lights start going out it basically it starts going into like a warning mode right where the lights start like pulsing mm-hmm. down the strips and kind of a warning klaxon starts going off Right, yeah. where it's it's time to go. So retreat, chapter forty three. They leave everything behind, <coughs> and everything is going into the oceans again. Yeah, all the spiders, any of the leftover technology they see as the, it's diving into the organic soup. Which again, what a commentary on kind of cruddy humans. Like we set up all these base camps in an alien world, and we we just leave it all behind. Yep. <laughs> well, luckily hey. the thing cleans itself. You ever, look at you, Everest. You ever been, yeah, I was just look gonna at say, Everest. look yeah. at Everest. <laughs> Everest. Everest. They even leave the people behind. <laughs> That's yeah, they, true. They, I know you can find bodies, bodies and poop. That's what you're getting. That's what yeah. you're getting on the Everest well, trip. What was your beautiful climb up Everest like well it was a trail of dead bodies and feces the entire way up <laughs> but look at is. look at the moon look at like how many Snickers wrappers I bet you you see as you go up we've there. we've we've left so we we've left stuff on the moon there's a car up there there's right a car, there's a car up there we 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 shot the GoBot to Mars. Yeah, we're and surrounded that, in a cloud of and junk, then, and then drew a wiener on Mars. Yeah. And, yeah, so we 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 flew the GoBot to Mars. Yeah, it got there. We drew a wiener in the sand and then left the trash. <laughs> that's the commentary uh, that, that's on, the what we did. On, on humans. We yeah. leave everything there. Yeah, um, but again, I, even in my notes, I put I'm I'm sad during this retreat. Yes. Um, there's so I know much I yet so I want, want more. I oh, want to know. I want to so know much. what's going on. But I appreciate the fact that I don't know what's I going on. I think you're on. supposed to feel sad. You're, you're supposed. You're, you to, are. You're supposed to feel like you're like there's a part yeah. of you missing when yeah. you when you are leaving, and you want to 
feel the same tension that Norton has, but also the sadness that he yeah. has. I like how visually it's even showing, like all the biots are going into the sea, the lights are even pointing them towards the sea, like they're all going going into it, the crew makes the retreat. Norton says goodbye to Rama, he asks forgiveness for any damage that he did in the name of science, and he leaves Rama forever, um, with all of its mysteries lost, locked inside. As a, as a kid, even now as an adult, um, I'm going to pretend none of the other books happened, that this is how I want my Rama. Sealed up. I, I don't know what any of it is, yep. and that's cool. You mm-hmm. want the mystery to be in yeah. your own mind and create the solution to that mystery on your own. Well, and, we're, and just, again, to go back to like the King Tut references and the things like that, there's still stuff in the pyramids that we have no idea why it's there. Right, exactly. Yeah, And it's for supposed sure. to feel that and, way. And people are saying, like, I don't know what, what it is. You know, is it a burial chamber? Is it pointing to stars? What is it? Are the three pyramids like the belt of Orion? Like, all kinds of crazy theories. Let's take 44, 45, and 46 all together. Space Drive, Phoenix, and Interlude. Um, Rama switches on its space drive, right? Uh, It shifts itself. It goes into the sun. They don't know. Some sort of corona forms around it. It seems to be sucking energy. All the scientists at the committee are just telling us all this, right? And they're freaking out. Because at first they're thinking, is it going to slow down? Is it going to... It's turning. Is it going to slow? Is it going to slow? Wait, no. What... What's going on? Yeah, is it going to dive into our sun, destroy it? Like, what, yeah. What, yeah. what's it going to do? Um, it doesn't. It harnesses energy from the sun and then just goes along its stellar Starts journey. to accelerate. And uh, off it goes. Off towards the major Magellanic cloud. Um, I love this. It's completely uninterested in humanity and all yep. of its concerns. Again, the final commentary on humankind is it briefly comes into our solar system, causes all of this panic, all this problem, highlights our own insecurities and our prejudices, and then it leaves. It could care less about humanity at the end. It's it's off towards the major Magellanic cloud. Uncaring. It's, 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 yeah, it's it's came by the sun to charge up and go away. Charge, give maybe an acceleration boost and gone. I'd have liked the book almost to end here because we have to end 46 with all kinds of weirdness where Norton gets the message that sperm was injected into one of his wives (laughs) and he's going to be a father. That's great. Um, They talk, this is where the end of mission orbital orgy happens. Where they just basically across the ship, the mission's over, they're going home, everybody's in celebration mode, so everybody's just, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just weird. <laughs> there is no reason for it. And he also does the same thing with Laura. Yep. Which again, one more fling with her. The the morality is very loose in this future future world. Um, talks about zero G and what it can do. All of those kind of things. Although I do feel. At the time this was written, 73, I'm not really sure how old. He must be in his 60s now at this point, maybe uh, late 50s, early 60s. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to do the math. Um, Arthur C. Clarke. But how old man is it that he's got to sit around writing this about everything that's going on and what's going on with Laura? And he talks about, um, well, what's great about Zero G is you can hold each other all night without cutting (laughs) off circulation. (laughs) Only an old man would think about something like that. Yep. (laughs) Um, But we get the final little words. Oh, I love this. Dr. Uh, Carlisle Pereira, who's been with us in most of the committee stuff. And has been right for most of the things, I believe. He, he was the one that kept predicting yes. things correctly. Good catch like in that the, he is right on everything. Yeah, he's been right about the storms. He's been right about all of the different things. Right. But he has the last statement. He wakens from a dream and says, the Ramans do everything in three. Dum, 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 dum. Which means more are coming, right? Which they do, hey, beyond this. 
There is Rama 2, which one of the things lobbied against this book was that, hey, awesome science, really cool vistas, no development of characters. Well, if you want it, Gentry Lee is going to be the guy who's going to head up those books with Clark really just taking a backseat and directing the science. Um, They're interesting. I remember by Rama 2, or is it Garden of Rama? Basically, Rama comes back again, uh, and, and it is a generational ship. Since they made contact with us, they send a ship to take us back, like the Cosmic Christers believed. Um, we go to this central node. Um, but I remember somewhere around there, in order to interact with us, those machines create, like, robots to interact with us. I think one of them is supposed to look like Marilyn Monroe. The other ones look like Abraham Lincoln. When I I couldn't handle it. Like there was a scene where like Abraham Lincoln is talking to a guy and his top hat flips back and something comes out of the hat or something. I'm what? like Yes, I'm like this is the dumbest thing. I, I <laughs> See, that was one of the beauties of this book and that was one of the beauties when I remember reading this too um as a kid and I remember reading this and going through and I remember loving Clark's writing in this and in yeah. 2001. Yeah. But with this one, it's supposed to be left to the imagination. I think I agree. by doing, it's one of those things that by doing the sequels, you take so much away from the mystery of the book. And I don't. And think, it's supposed to me. It's supposed to make you think. Yeah, and I it's don't think any reveal on a mystery will will be worth it. Revealing the mystery is never a good idea no. because the mystery, uh, the, the reveal is is never what you'd built up in your own mind. We've learned this with the prequels. Anything else? You don't reveal the mystery. Yeah. Let let the viewers, let the readers figure it out themselves. Right. Let them have their own worlds and go from that. I know I, after reading this book, I did look to see yeah. what the reviews of the sequels were, and I immediately went, I will never read those. I then. would say go to Wikipedia or Goodreads, read somewhere like that. Read uh, the uh, plot synopsis. Think, See if it sounds like something you would like. I mean, I had to find out what happened, so I did read, read the rest exactly of them. Exactly what I did. When I was a child. I won't return to them even now. Yeah. I, I just don't care. I mean, I remember eagle people talking. I don't what? even. I just don't care. Um, you know, it, yep. it's pretty bad. Yep. Um, and actually, besides Rama, Garden of Rama, Rama revealed he even did two more beyond that. Uh, and did I don't he really or did it. like a ghost Gentry Raider. Lee? It's Gentry oh, okay. Lee who basically does it all with uh, Clark having just nickel and dime input. Okay. So uh, that's that's it. So let's go around the table. Our final thoughts. Uh, recommend, not recommend. What are your thoughts on Rama? Uh, Neil, why don't we start? Oh, yeah, that's right. You had, you had to go uh, save somebody. Neil's not here. Good job. Neil had to leave. <laughs> hey, he's just helping somebody out. We'll, we'll, we'll give him that. <laughs> Paul, what are your thoughts at this point? Oh, I really enjoyed this book. I will wholeheartedly say... I would read this book again, and I probably will read this book again. I know I've recommended it to a few other people that I know enjoyed The Martian because it's hard sci-fi. It's one of those where the science matches mostly with reality. I mean, there's some parts where it has to be fiction, but it it was a book that made me think about things, uh, reminded me of different things about space that I've learned, Mm -hmm. and made me want to go into space again. So I would highly recommend this book if you are a sci-fi space nerd if you're a romance novelist probably not (laughs) if you like reading the romance novels i wouldn't recommend this you like danielle Steele? don't read rendezvous basically yeah well as as we've discussed there's no 
there's no flaming feather on the cover. There is no flaming feather. Nobody that would even though there was a chapter called Icarus. So why not have a flaming feather? So that would be my recommendation. Is a high recommend for majority of our listeners. uh, Club. What about you? Hey kids, (laughs) Uh, Uncle Club here. It's Arthur C. Clarke. Anything by Arthur C. Clarke that's actually written by Arthur C. Clarke. <laughs> yes. There we go. <laughs> Read it. Right. He is such a pinnacle of science fiction. He is a pinnacle of science. The Again, going back and looking at this, I had to keep re-looking at that 1973 date. Right. And going, wow, the number of things that, you know, whether it's Arthur C. Clarke, whether it's Roddenberry, whether it's Bradbury... Um, we have reverse engineered from ideas that came out of these guys' heads. Yep, I agree. Uh, you know, it's worth the read, and it's just the. It again, it's not a character-driven story. It's one of the few things that's out there that's a very good setting-driven story. Mm-hmm. The setting is what's important. Rama is what's important. Our people are there because well, you need characters. You need people. Right. If you are, you know, characters, you can't just have the entire book be about the setting. You have to have a little bit of that people interacting to make the reader feel like they're there. Again, it's one of the things with how Rama, how Rendezvous with Rama is written. I really felt like I was a crew member. I really felt like I was, you know, there listening to Norton talking and going through the awe and the fright and the you know the those scenes where it's dead black or all around them, and all of that, all of those feelings, you really feel like you're going through it with them. And so, by, thumbs up, yes, yes to anybody. However, like you said, Paul, if you're, you know, if your books usually have the scantily clad men holding the woman outside the stables, <laughs> this is not the book for you. <laughs> I have kind of the reverse of that <laughs> around love. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, by all means, pick it up, read it, continue along with us um, as we as we continue to go forward here. But yeah, Rendezvous with Rama, it's Clark. Yes. Bob. Oh, wholeheartedly. Um, this, again, characters don't matter. You become Norton. This is humanity standing in the awesome presence of technology and an alien mind that you cannot comprehend. Um, highest of recommendations uh, for Rendezvous with Rama. And more importantly, I think that this is a book that everybody should read. These are, this is the kind of science fiction that we need, even now. Um, I lament the loss in a lot of ways of science fiction from this time period where you had guys like Asimov and Heinlein and Niven and, you know, all of the greats who were asking these huge... You read this stuff, lay people were reading science fiction, learning science. You learn science through reading this stuff. Becoming able to speak the language of science uh, and question... Um, and and become in awe of the grandeur of of the universe. That it's it's science that is uplifting. It puts humanity in its correct position in the universe. It's uplifting. It it's, forces you to think too. It forces you to ask these questions about yourself and about humanity. Right. There is no. It's it's not any wonder that so many of the people who are astronauts and propel the space program, and and 
technology giants, all of them were reading this stuff when they were young because this is the kind of stuff that you read and gives you an uplifting wonderment of the universe instead of a lot of kind of the, you know, uh, even space opera, although fantastic, you know, is a lot of times just about the infighting of humans, you know, yeah. and, and that kind of drama. This makes you question uh, the greater questions uh, of, of the universe, which I think is fantastic. So the highest of praise and uh, recommend of Rendezvous with Rama. But yeah, definitely uh, what Klob says. Uh, make sure you read everything by Arthur C. Clarke that he actually wrote. Keywords, <laughs> exactly. Keywords. He actually wrote. Not sponsored by or in association <laughs> yeah, with. Yes, co-authored by, which means he was sitting in a chair somewhere. He, uh, got, he got paid. Yeah. He got paid to just do nothing. And by the way, go check out 2001 if you haven't seen it, Paul. Hi. Um, <laughs> believe me, it's going to be long. I mean, you know, uh, there's a lot of silent scenes of watching monkeys traverse the universe. Uh, traverse? Uh, okay, they're not traversing. They're <laughs> Plotting the, around. Uh, Touching monoliths, getting the, the, the spark there's, of creativity. There, there's monkey sex. Uh, there is that. Is there? I don't. Is yes, there? there's monkey oh, sex. Oh, yeah, there's kind of monkey rape. Yeah. <laughs> Does it sound weird? Um, but it'll lead you to a greater consciousness. Um, yeah. All right. That, that's a that's a By the way, I think if you like lick a stamp somewhere halfway through by the time uh, they go into the obelisk or the monolith and all of the colors are flashing by you, you'll be tripping as well. Oh, okay. I all hear right. that that was a thing for that a lot of people yes. were doing in the 70s. The small uh, would, small uh... theaters would show 2001 and people would I think it was LSD. They'd they they they'd have a they'd have a certain time They'd be to, on a trip uh... by the time he entered the monolith they would enter the monolith, and then the whole Star Child <laughs> sequence makes so much more Ooh. sense. <laughs> you are the Star the Child. child. <laughs> so, all right. All right. Well, folks, uh, if you agree with us, if you don't agree with us, if you just want to talk about stuff, Arthur C. Clarke, we're going into Soul Forge next, getting back into the Summer of Lance 2. Electric Boogaloo. Actually, is it no, Lance it's three. three. It's summer the Summer of Lance yeah. Three. Lance, uh, was it Revenge of Lance, Lance, Lance Harder. Harder. Yeah, yeah. Summer of Lance I, we three. know Lance that Harder. the Die Hard stuff actually that is Lance with a Vengeance. It should be Lance with a Vengeance, but I don't know something about Lance Harder. Yes, <laughs> um, come check us out on Facebook. Check us out on our website that's rarely used. Check us Never. Out. <laughs> yeah, it's there. I guess we need people it'll to bring run you, that Facebook. It'll be on website. Look on Facebook. It'll bring Just, you to the Facebook page if you don't know how to get to the Facebook page. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Facebook is where to be. That's where we're all at. Yeah, talk to us. Join the conversation. You could be on the show as we can read some stuff. If you get really good, we'll even like let you phone in. Yeah, I keep if saying you, this over and over again. We have like hundreds now, hundreds and hundreds of listeners, and there's like three people that ever comment on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. please, by all means, comment. Go to Facebook. Uh, talk to us. Become part of the conversation. I think Rama's going to spark some conversation. I think so as well. So, uh, if anything, it would be about like the quality. We should do. (laughs) We should do a little bit more Liberty Ball. One more Liberty Ball. One more. All right. One more. One more. One more for the road. You're still buying though. So I'll mix up three of them. Yeah. We'll we'll actually mix up four. We'll pour. We'll pour one in the yard for you. Playing outlawed tunes and outlawed pipes. Goodbye. <laughs> it's full of stars.
<laughs> I was good. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dungeons and Dweebs. There's even more adventuring to be had at our website, dungeonsanddweebs.com. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at dungeonsanddweebspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find Dungeons and Dweebs on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Find all those links at dungeonsanddweebs.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please help spread the word by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. The music for Dungeons and Dweebs is Fatal Fight by Royalty Free Kings and can be found at their website, royaltyfreekings.com. Dungeons and Dweebs is a Tim Gilbert media production. Copyright 2017, all rights reserved. And no part of the show can be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the expressed written permission of Tim Gilbert Media. My God, it's full of stars. Oh, he probably read all their stuff and tried to find... Because he, he read about all the pulp magazines, stuff like that, right? right? So he probably went and said, well, hey... And this is a big time in history, too, as we go in through the 30s and the 40s. Right. And we, we're starting to understand more about space. Mm-hmm. We're, we're building... We're the, the, the You know what we're doing. You just had an aneurysm. Post or not? Yeah, post. I completely yeah, cool. lost where I was going. Go, um, go back, because I can continue off okay. of what you said, what you're saying, kind of. But this was a, and this was a big time in the history of the world too. As we go going through the twenties, thirties, the forties, we're learning more about the universe. We're learning more about our own Earth. My God, it's full of stars. The wheel rotated almost effortlessly through a full circle. Then, very smoothly, it took up the load. Half a meter away, the curving wall of the pillbox started to move, like a slowly opening clamshell. A few particular. A few particles of dust. I'll get that out of your head as you're trying to record. Can I, fi- can I finish quick? Yeah. No, keep keep you finish. Keep keep your legs open. Keep your legs open. Like a slowly opening clamshell, a few particles of dust driven by wisps of escaping. (laughs) 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 Okay. Why'd you say that? Now I gotta edit that because this is going on the end for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Slowly opening clamshell. All right, hold on. Let me let me finish that here. Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. Just finish, bud. Like a slowly opening clamshell. A few particles of dust, driven by wisps of escaping air, streamed outward. <laughs> Damn it, you guys. If, if you had held it together, I wouldn't have been able to do this. Sorry. <laughs> Just focus, Paul. You're fine. Focus. Just focus. A few particles of dust, driven by wisps of escaping air, streamed outward like dazzling diamonds. Streamed outward like dazzling diamonds. As the brilliant sunlight caught them, the road to Rama lay open. Say it one more time with, like, bravado. The road... Well, okay, no. Not, not, not different. No. The road to uh, the road. The, the road to Rama lay open. Yeah. Better? Yeah. Okay.